What's up? What's happening? I'll see if we remember how to do this. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980. We're always live as well on the free Odyssey app. And we are streaming live once again. Uh, when I'm out, so is the YouTube stream. But we are back in all of the places here on a Monday edition of Columbia. Yep, we're back. We're holding. Oh, my God, you're not Anthony Haney. What's up, Vic Ferreira? Hey, how's it going? Happy Monday, everyone. Uh, Anthony, Anthony Wednesday. Uh, Anthony and I have now seen each other in like, by the time we, we get back together in the same room, it will have been over two weeks. Wow. Well, geez, it's, it might as well be the replacements here the last two weeks. I mean, it is a very funny movie. I, I love that movie because you know what? I was an extra in that. You're, wait, what? Uh, well, so was about 40,000 other people or maybe 15,000 because they uh, filmed it at m and Bank Stadium and I was one of those 15,000 or so. Well, what do you know? I see. We didn't even... You made that reference because you knew that we'd get to that fact. You Probably, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was... I was looking ahead. Yeah, it was, it's a good job by you. I uh, That really is one of my favorites. I'm not a big movie guy, but like that is one of my, my favorites. What's funny is I think I might have been, I don't know, 10, 11 years old. So when I was there, I was kind of like confused a little bit because they were running the same play for about an hour and a half of on like a <laughs> flat play. And the guy was getting hit over and over and over. I was like, where's the actual game? I didn't know like how they made a movie. I didn't know they spent an hour on one play. Mm. Yeah, no, that's rough. Uh, and then I, your parents might not let you watch that movie at the time. No, but uh, you You've know, seen it since. I've I've seen it many times, and I like to say I co-starred with Gene Hackman and uh, Keanu Reeves. Have you have you ever um, been able to find yourself in the crowd? It's hard because I was behind uh, the. Behind the field goal in like the east end zone, I believe. Okay. And I believe there is a certain scene where there's a row of fans that are, I think, actual like actors potentially, because they kept do they kept doing the same thing over and over and over again. I might have been like four or five rows, uh-huh. but I have not seen myself, and I think I might have been CGI'd to make it seem like there were sixty thousand other people. So they took the group of fifteen thousand or so, and then just pasted around the. So I might so, be on there so five, maybe, six times. Maybe, Yeah, maybe if you look carefully, you can see multiple Vic Ferreras. I, I've tried. No, no luck. No luck. No luck. All right. Well, that's that's fun. Uh, Vic, I feel I feel refreshed. I would highly recommend mm. uh, if your job allows you at some point. To, you know, we all have we all have some form of PTO. Uh, you know, I guess if you're hourly, it's like if you don't work, then you don't get paid. That is kind of a pain. I've, I've definitely lived that life. Um, but – if you if you work in a career where you have PTO, use it, kids. Um, it's it's good for you. Feel good. Feel refreshed. Uh, ready to to go to Indianapolis tomorrow. Because the, the funny joke is, Vic, um, I am back in the saddle today, and then I leave again tomorrow. Now I will be on the show tomorrow, and boy, do we have some shows planned for you while we are in Indianapolis. I will pull up the guest list to make sure I do not miss anybody in a moment. Um, but. I literally am in this literal chair for one day, and then I am I am back in a in a very nice airplane seat tomorrow, and then and then ultimately on a chair in Radio Row from Indianapolis. So looking forward to that. Um, that is going to be great, and I guess this is the part of the show, Vic, where we just unleash on the people what is going to happen over the next couple of days. Are you excited? Because if to me it feels weird, uh, I'm missing some NFL. It hasn't sunk in that the NFL mm. season is gone. 
Why do you think that is? Like you get up Sunday morning and you're like, it's just I'm waiting for the Fox NFL pregame show. Up oh, there's there's nothing on at noon. I, I I guess it hasn't sunk in yet. It's been what two weeks since the Super Bowl? Am I right? Yeah. Or is it a week? This, this past Sunday was was two weeks. Like so, there a bit there yeah. was a Sunday with no football, and then this is the second Sunday with no football, and then coming up this Sunday will be a third Sunday with no football. Although there are workout drills, there is the combine on Sunday if you need to get a fix in of dudes will eventually be NFL football players running around um, doing football adjacent stuff. But to me, usually after the Super Bowl, I think I, it's like a two or three week period before it, it sinks in for me because you wait two weeks from the championship games to the Super Bowl. So this would be no different than me waiting two weeks from, quote, another game. So it, it's, it's still painful right now that we have no football on Sundays. So for me, I think it's not as bad because I do the pregame show all season. And then because the commanders didn't sniff the playoffs and on some level, I couldn't wait for the misery just to be over. Like there was this, we were stuck in purgatory for six weeks where they were terrible and we knew they were terrible. And the only, and especially after Sam's season went sideways, like we knew there was nothing worth watching other than, Hey, tell me what happened at the end and what happened to the other teams that are also bad because, oh my God, they might wind up with the second pick. And turns out that was the case, but that's not like an exciting thing to watch unfold. So, and it's certainly not fun to do a game, a, a pregame show that previews the game that nobody cares about. Um, <laughs> right. So that was, that was not my favorite way to spend Sunday mornings. Uh, as opposed to earlier in the season where it was uh, one of my favorite ways to spend Sunday mornings because it was really exciting and people were genuinely jacked up for the games. So we have the pregame show end in, what, January 8th, week 17. And then from there, it's like, for me, the season's over. Yeah, I, of course, I watched all the playoff games, and that was really fun and exciting. But, like, at that point, I know I'm getting weaned off of football. Like, there wasn't – I guess if you spend every Sunday waiting for 1 o'clock watching and that's your rhythm – and instead of get up, go to a pregame show, watch, postgame show, et cetera, I could see why that's that feels like more of quitting cold turkey. And well, that why yeah. that's why that's been shocking for you. Yeah, well that well, I knew the season was over after the Chicago Bears game for the Commanders. Well, after that Thursday that. night game. So I already knew well, the season's over. So I've kind of already at that time adjusted to just watching generic NFL games and watching like the Pat Mahomes, the Lamar Jacksons, to where now I don't have that anymore. It's it's painful for me. So what are you what are you trying to do on your Sundays? Well, here's the thing: I haven't played Madden football in like 15 years, and oh. so to accommodate for that, it was actually free on Xbox Game Pass. I have that, and I was like, you know what? Let's fire up the Madden, and now that's how I'm getting my fix in. I'm playing as the Commanders, going week by week, and I already had a perfect season with Sam Howell, so I think you should be the quarterback next year. Oh, well, that's clearly yeah. how we should make this decision. Yes. Someone get Adam Peters on the phone. Yep. Um, what difficulty lever are you playing? Uh, since I haven't played in so I have it on all pro, which I believe is the second highest. So, I, yeah, no, that's so, actually pretty impressive. Go all season undefeated. Yeah. So I'm going to try all Madden for my second season. Okay. With Sam Howell as my quarterback. Yeah, I've uh, I've done similar things. Um, I hadn't touched my – I hadn't touched the PlayStation in a while until last week. Got some quality FIFA uh, action in uh, now going in my third season of career mode uh, after no fourth season at uh, two seasons at Wrexham because of course I did uh, and I, I turned down much bigger money to leave Wrexham after the first season but the money was so good after the second season that I went to the Bundesliga and then and then I went uh, to, to Arsenal and I just started my first my first season in the Premier League 
as a 22-year-old striker who scores a lot of goals. I haven't played FIFA, and so I think the last time I played FIFA— I'm sorry, it's not FIFA anymore. It's not? It's FC, it's FC 24, See, there you go. See, which the- becomes important because they don't have the licensing agreement to the World Cup anymore, and so I did just lead the United States to the Men's International Cup. That sounds huge. That should be breaking news. Yeah, so that's, that's part of how I spent my week. Uh-huh. But I also spent it, Victor, now that we've kept the people waiting— I also spent it booking guests for Indianapolis. Really? I did. Are they big I did time a guests? Bit of work. Uh, some would say they are some of the biggest guests in right. NFL media circles. So here's here's what we got tomorrow. Tomorrow's kind of our ESPN day. We got ESPN NFL draft insider Jordan Reed, ESPN NFL draft insider Matt Miller, both on the show tomorrow. We also have The Athletic, one of their lead draft insiders, Nick Bumgardner. We also have a roundtable of NFL media types, reporters, film nicks, etc. So far, we got one slot left that we have uh, We got to confirm up. But it's going to be me, Brooke Pryor from ESPN, and Ben Solak from The Ringer. And what we're going to do, because I've always done this with my fitness podcast in Indy, because we tape a bunch of stuff on that side as well. And I was like, I'm so dumb. Why don't we do this, for, you know, because all the top trainers are in Indy. So we get a couple of them together, and we everyone brings a topic, and we chop it up, and it's a great discussion. I was like, why don't we do that with the NFL? So me, Brooke, Ben, and TBD slot four are going to all bring a different NFL topic to the table. Could be scheme, could be trends, could be ownership, could be coaching, could be players, whatever. We'll see what everybody brings, and we're all going to chop it up. So that's that. Uh, and then Sam Fortier, I believe, is also going to join the show tomorrow. Adam Peters' podium session at 11.30. I do believe we're carrying that live uh, here on the Team 980. If not, we'll have uh, bites on Sheehan's show and, and Russell's show right after. But uh, Sam Fortier is going to join us as well. So that's loaded. That's day one. And by the way, there's probably other people that will wind up on the show. You ready for day two? All right, hit me. Day two. The show opens at 4 p.m. with Ian Rappaport. Oh, nice. Uh, we will also that day have, this is kind of our NFL Network Day, Lance Zerline. So if you go to or go to NFL.com and you search any draft prospect and there's the little write-up on that that says, like, this is who this prospect is, the guy that writes those for every prospect on NFL.com, we've all read them, is Lance Zerline. He's on the show. Charles Davis is on the show on Wednesday as well. I think I'm missing people, but those are the ones that are definitely uh, locked in for Wednesday. And then we're actually taping some stuff on Thursday that will air on the show on Friday, including the Athletics' Nate Tice, NFL Network's Tom Pelissero, and more. That's a great lineup. So we got we are we are loaded, you might say. Uh, we actually got a pretty damn good lineup worth of guests today as well. Still to come on the Hoffman Show, Chase Hughes. In less than 20 minutes, uh, as he's going to talk some Wizards with us. We're going to talk Wizards amongst ourselves next. Take some of your calls later in the hour. Some Wizards things I've been pondering on the last week. And obviously, there's been a lot of things happening in Zardo's land. Uh, Coming up later in the show on Monday with Michael Phillips. Uh, We will also hear from NFL.com lead draft writer Eric Edholm to preview the NFL Combine. So we are loaded up. Not just today, but all week long. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980 and always live on the free Odyssey app. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. We'll talk Wizards with Chase Hughes coming up 
in just a few minutes. But we'll talk Wizards amongst ourselves now. And um, actually, Vic, I'm curious if this made your radar. Um, when we last left our heroes, if you will, uh, I was it was right before the All-Star break. And my last show uh, that I did before leaving on, on vacation was after Denny Avia had had a couple nice games in a row. And I thought some folks, a very loud portion of Wizards Twitter, including like some podcasters and bloggers and um, other folks who, who talk into microphones, um, had gotten a little bit out over their ski on Denny Avia. They were putting out, I mean, it, it, some of it was in good fun. Some of it, I think, was being a little too serious. But, you know, we're Denny Avia apologist forms. And, you know, all these just, this guy's amazing. He's a star. This is what happens when you give him opportunity. And I was like, y'all can relax. He's averaging 13.8 points a game. I loved, or I really like Denny Avia a lot as a player. And I think he could be very helpful and part of a winning team if he's the, I don't know, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh guy on it. But let's stop pretending like this is this dude is some star in the making because he's had a nice two weeks. And then I went on vacation. And that night, but actually before I left for vacation, Thursday night, the last game before the All-Star break, Denny Avia dropped 43 points. <laughs> And I was like, career high. Well, <laughs> actually, no, sorry. That was Wednesday. And I was able to do the show on Thursday and be like, guess what? Still Linton still doesn't really change anything. I don't know. Maybe he could be the third best player on a championship team instead of the fourth best. My bad. Well, obviously, when you, uh, when you go on vacation, there's no more content. I don't do the show when I'm on vacation. That's the point. And so for a week, I just watched... My YouTube comments fill up and, and you know, I'd get occasional shrapnel replies of Wizards fans because there's also, at that point, no more games. We have no new information. We have no new data. And lo and behold, we get back uh, from the All-Star break. I'm still on vacation. And the Wizards play their first game. And uh, first of all, Vic, did you see any of the, the back and forth? Are you, how locked into Wizards Twitter are you? Uh, I'm not locked in. Okay. Not, not at all. I, I it go became the a thing. I was I was a character on Wizards Twitter. Oh, really? Yeah, which is fun. <laughs> um, and and lo and behold, what what do you know? What Denny Avia did in his first game back after the All Star break? What did he do? He scored five points. Oh man! On a miserable shooting night. Now it, he against has, the champions, right? Yeah, yeah, against the Nuggets. It was it was real bad. Got 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 old nuggied by the Nuggets. Just <laughs> rubbed it in, and. You would think that would lead to me taking a victory lap, right? Right. But so this is my first show. This is my chance. Okay. Vic, prepare the parade for me. Prepare my victory lap. All right. Except for don't. Oh, okay. Because I think what happens is people want players to be on the extremes. They want players to be Patrick Mahomes or absolutely cannot play bust because then it's really easy, right? That dude's great. That dude sucks. It's an easier narrative than the vast majority of reality, which is it's it's really hard to be consistently great. And mediocrity doesn't look like 14 points and four rebounds every single night. It looks like 22 points and eight rebounds some nights and 10 points and two rebounds the next. That fluctuation in play is something that messes with the narratives because it's not clean. It's not consistent. 
And so what I would tell anybody, and I, I very briefly got back onto Wizards Twitter. By the way, my only reply the morning after the Wizards uh, game in, against the Nuggets, in which Denny Avia had five points, was a hilarious tweet of someone reposting my segment where everyone is trying to cook me and going, y'all owe this man an apology. And to that guy, thank you. Uh, but what Denny Avia is not is a budding superstar who's going to score 43 points on any kind of regular basis. We'll be lucky. Like, if you told me right now that Denny Avia will retire in a decade and that 43 points will still be his career high, I'd probably take that bet. That's how, like, out of pocket, in a great way. It doesn't mean we shouldn't celebrate it. Incredible game. But if Denny Avia goes and scores 44 points in a game in the future, bravo. But he might score 40 once a season. Maybe. It's really hard to score 40 points. Easier now than it's ever been in a season where scoring is at an all-time high. But very, very difficult. Very impressive. He's not going to do it regularly. He's not going to score 30 regularly. 20, maybe. But this dude averages 13 points per game. And what that realistically means is there's he's not 43-point Denny, but he's also not 5-point Denny. He is simultaneously neither of those players and both of those players. He's just going to be inconsistent. And I think the hope is that he, he gets more consistent as he gets older. And for me, what I would want from Denny Advia if I'm this front office is someone who reliably defends at a high level, averages between 16 and 18 points per game, hopefully seven or eight rebounds, four or five assists, doesn't turn it over, Shoots 37% from three. He's shooting an outrageously high number this year, which is awesome. If Denny Avia turns into a 40% three-point shooter, then incredible. But he's realistically, if he settles into like 37 for his career, like I'm very happy with that. And I think wanting more of that is setting yourself up to be disappointed. And planning on more of that would be asinine, which I think gets to my last thing, which is when when all these when a lot of fans are like, why are you putting a ceiling on his his potential? Because their their counterpoints to acknowledge them, which are fair enough, is that you know with Kuz out there, with Pool out there, like he doesn't get the opportunities. And it's like, okay, Kyle was out one game and he has forty three. Like, don't you think that if they thought he was capable of that on a regular basis, then he would be out there a lot more and the the offense would flow through him? You don't think these coaches? Uh, or that Michael Winger and Will Dawkins like know what they're looking at when they watch these dudes in practice. Like, come on. But oh, now I've lost my train of thought. Vic, where was I? Pick me up. Uh, talking about Danny Avdia's ceiling. Yes, the ceiling. Which I have so, something from Bullets Forever. They posted a poll, but I'll let you finish. Yeah, no, I I am intrigued in the Bullets Forever poll. Um, but I think I think that when you're talking about a player's ceiling. First of all, I have no control over a ceiling. I have no control over anything. I am a guy who talks into a microphone. Oh. Yeah, that's that's me. Sorry for uh, that. That hurt your ears, Vic. Yeah. Oh, my We've God. had this conversation before about my ears. Oh, it, it they're hurts. Very, they're very Tinnitus. sensitive. Yeah, sensitive. Oh. Yeah, sorry, sorry about that. <laughs> I'm a usual radio guy whose hearing is probably going as we speak. <laughs> um, tap, tap. Very nice on the microphone for Vic. Um, I... I'm a guy who talks into a microphone. I give my opinions for three hours a day. I have no control over anything. 
But as a franchise, if you plan on him reaching a ceiling that is higher than what is actually going to happen, then you plan differently. You draft differently. You sign free agents differently. You give opportunities and distribute them differently. And that's a very silly thing to do because then you wind up coming up short. So that's why it matters. What did the Bullets uh, Forever poll say? Yeah, they asked... What is Danny Avdia's NBA ceiling? You have three choices. You mm-hmm. could choose a solid playoff starter, an all-star, or he is close to his peak now. Which of those three would you vote? I would say he's a solid playoff starter. Solid playoff starter? Then you are in the majority. 54% say that hey, he now. is a solid playoff starter. 37 at all-star and 9% say he's close to his peak right now. That 37% needs to watch other NBA teams. Well, they're only Wizard fans, so who knows? Maybe I they mean, just watch Wizards. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this in the break, and then we're going to have Chase Hughes on to talk about Denny and uh, Jordan Poole, who's looked like a totally different player coming off the bench post-All-Star break. Uh, so, But here's what I'm going to do in the break. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look up Denny Avia's stats uh, as they stand right now for this year, and I'm going to see how many players, points, rebounds, assists have them. I'm going to guess there's a lot. Mm-hmm. So, all-star, no. I think Denny, Denny Avia's level of player, no disrespect, very, very good, but is much more dime a dozen in the NBA. Thoughtman Show, we're on the Team 980. We'll talk about all of this with Chase Hughes next. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980. We're always live as well on the free Odyssey app, and it is our pleasure to welcome back to the show our buddy Chase Hughes from Monumental Sports. You read him on their website. You see him on your television. Uh, there's there's so many places to get Chase Hughes content. And uh, one more is right here on this radio show. What's up, Chase? Not much, man. It's great to be back on with you. Always great to have you. So we were talking about uh, Denny Avia in the last second or the last segment. And there is a lot of, obviously, uh, Denny Avia ceiling talk these days. Uh, because of the 43-point game that he had right before the All-Star break. And he had a really, really good two-week stretch before the break. As you talk to uh, you know folks around the team and uh, kind of watch with your own eyes the development of Denny this year, like what, where do you see him as a player right now? And, and how much more room to grow is there through your eyes uh, with him? Well, I see a guy who's made a pretty big leap this year. Um, you know, obviously scoring more points, uh, doing more in a volume sense than he has uh, the first three years of his career, but also just becoming a more reliable three-point shooter and a better rebounder. You know, he's become one of the best rebounders on the team. And uh, I asked um, interim coach Brian Keefe about him yesterday, just his offensive versatility. And he said that he thinks a lot of it just starts with getting defensive rebounds and taking the ball up the court. So I think the big reason why a lot of things have been unlocked for him this year is that the Wizards are playing faster. They're, they've been up near the top of the league in pace all year. And it just really suits Denny's strengths because he's really good in transition. He's big. He can handle the ball. He's fast. And he's starting to recognize when he can take advantage of physical mismatches, especially in open space. So um, I, as far as his ceiling, I, I think it's probably being raised in a lot of people's eyes. And I think moving forward, especially if the Wizards are playing this style, then I, I think he could be at a minimum, you know, a rotation player, probably a starter on a good team. Like when the Wizards are ready to contend for the playoffs, I think he could be a key contributor on that type of team. 
So you and I, I think, are very much on the same page here, which is we say many nice things, and then we land on he's a rotation player, like a very good one potentially, but this is not someone that I see as a future superstar, and yet there is a very loud portion of Wizards Twitter uh, and the Wizards fan base that I think gets carried away with the two weeks and, and the 43 points. And I would be quick to point out, by the way, that the five points he had in the one game post-All-Star break before getting hurt, that's not who he is either. He's just somewhere in between. So like, if we think about realistically what that rotation player looks like, that that kind of finished version as much as NBA, any NBA player ever is of Denny Avia, like what is what does that look like statistically in your mind? Well, if he ends up becoming a starter on a playoff team or like a a really good team, then that's nothing to sneeze at. I mean, you know, you mentioned uh, being a superstar. There's only a handful of those guys in the league. It's really, really hard to become that good. Um, But for Denny, I mean, I I think you're obviously being a scoring threat in transition. Now he can make threes. Um, I I think that the key will be having the same impact that he does in transition in the court. You know, they've, tried to, they've run him off a lot more pick and rolls this year, um, a lot more frequently than we saw the first three years. And, you know, he's got to, you know, continue to get better at, at tightening his handle and protecting the ball. Um, but he's on the right track. And, you know, he's a good rebounder, as I mentioned. You know, we haven't really talked about his defense, but anyone who's watched him over the last year, few years knows that, you know, he's a very versatile and gifted defender. I think the more help the Wizards can get, for him and guys like Bilal Koulibaly, you know, they're better defenders. The more help they can get on that end of the floor, the more it'll simplify things for a guy like Denny. And, you know, he won't be left on an island against some of the best players in the league. He'll have, you know, help in terms of help defense and also rim protectors behind him. Um, But I I think a two-way player who can rebound and can be uniquely good in transition and a starter on a playoff team, if he ends up being that, then he'll be well worth the ninth overall pick. Without a doubt, and I think he's also the kind of guy that can win you a playoff game. Like, I think of, I mean, the worst, uh, the best example is unfortunately terribly heartbreaking for the Wizards um, because I think of the Kelly Olynyk game. And I think of how, you know, back in 2016, like, he, that dude was a role player, won a playoff game for the Celtics and wound up winning them a series. I think Denny Avia, with his skill set, could absolutely be that kind of guy that wins you a, a playoff game. I don't say single-handedly, but with an outsized uh, type of of impact. And I think that's a super valuable piece to have. Um, You mentioned Brian Keefe. What have you made of how there's some of the changes, big macro size changes that uh, the Wizards have made since Keefe took over um, outside of Jordan Poole, who we'll talk about separately in a moment? Yeah, I'll start on the offensive end. I know he's talked a lot about defense, but one discernible difference has definitely been the amount of threes that the Wizards are attempting. Um, Coming out of the all-star break, they'd been uh, like seventh in the league in total threes attempted over the previous month um, since Keith had taken over. And, you know, they took 40 last night. And they're not necessarily shooting like that efficiently. Um, Like during this stretch, they've had a couple games where they've shot sub 30% from three but they're making a lot of threes. In the four games leading up to the All-Star break, they tied a franchise record making 23s, and then a couple games later, they set a new record making 21. Um, So that's been one difference. Defensively, um, they've kind of regressed lately, but for the most part, they've been better. And, uh, you know, when you ask the players what's been different, they say that they're trusting each other a lot more in isolation defense. They're not doing as much help defense. And I think it's simplified things where you're not having as much miscommunication on switches. So, uh, that's been different. 
And then in general, you hear from players all the time that Brian Keith is like very direct, very blunt when it comes to holding people accountable. And we've noticed that a little bit, like in the media, like sometimes, you know, he'll kind of give it back to us a little bit. He's just kind of a no nonsense guy. Like he's not going to sugarcoat it. He's going to tell you what he thinks. And as Johnny Davis told us uh, last night, sometimes it'll be in front of the entire group. Well, he'll, he'll be like, you're not doing this well enough. You got to be better at it. And I think that's the type of accountability the Wizards are searching for right now. Chase Hughes, of course, monumental sports with us here on the Hoffman Show. So uh, before we get to pool, and that's how we'll wrap up uh, our chat here, I'm going to ask you a, like the biggest macro size question I can. So big, Chase, that as we stream on YouTube, this is the question that's on the graphic. Are the Wizards showing improvement despite the fact that they have lost 11 games in a row? Because the vibes are good. The results are bad. Trying to make sense of that. Are the Wizards improving despite the results of the last 11 games? I think they are because uh, the young guys have taken steps forward this year. I I think whatever they end up with, however many wins at the end of the season, if the progress continues for Denny Avdi and Corey Kispert, you're going to feel good about that. Uh, Bilal Koulibaly has, um, you know, obviously dealt with the what all rookies deal with, which is just the the tonnage of games. Like you get to a point where um, I think these all these young guys just get tired as they're adjusting to playing an 82 game season. So, um, you know, call it the rookie wall, call it whatever you want. Right now, obviously, he's hurt. Um, as long as he continues to have a successful rookie season, you'll feel good about that. So, I think those are the things that the Wizards will hang their hat on at the end of the year. Now, over these last 25 games, if they can get back to playing the defense they were. Um, kind of leading up to the All-Star break, where over about a month going back to January 9th, up until the All-Star break, they were a top-10 defense. I think they'll feel a lot better about that. Uh, they made progress last night against Cleveland, but you know, going up against Oklahoma City and Denver and giving up 130-plus, that's certainly not what they're looking for. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, and they had, until those recent blowouts, been pretty competitive during this streak in a way that they hadn't been uh, previously under Wes Unsell, which, which, you know, obviously, you know, as much as we all love Wes, was the reason uh, why the, he ultimately is no longer the head coach of the team. All right, then there is Jordan Poole, who is obviously an important part of this rebuild to try to recoup his value, if you will, after a miserable start to his Wizards career. He wasn't particularly thrilled, it seemed, about being moved to the bench, but he has responded by having uh, great performances offensively, including a season-high 31 last night against Cleveland in the loss. Like, what what have you made of of Jordan Poole's uh, you know post All Star resurgence here? Is it the break? Is it the role? Like what what are the the factors here? I think the role has a lot to do with it. Um, he was in good spirits last night. It was like the first time that we really saw a breakthrough from this new role. Like the first two games, he scored a decent amount of points, but it wasn't exactly efficient. Um, and last night, you know, he it really kind of peaked in the fourth quarter. He had 11 points in the first three minutes, made three threes, and was really kind of feeling it and kind of interacting with the crowd. Um, two things on the roll. I think, one, it, it, it helps any player to go to the second unit and then all of a sudden be facing backups. Like, it's a completely different dynamic when you're going up against second units compared to starters. Uh, but perhaps more importantly, he gets to play more on the ball uh, than he had previously this season. And I didn't really realize it just how much he'd been playing off the ball or at least as a shooting guard until I looked at the position estimate that basketball reference has, which isn't an inexact science, but they had him as the shooting guard 83% of the time this year leading up to the all-star break. And that was by far the most that he's played as a shooting guard in his career. 
Like, looking back at his time in Golden State, he was actually a starter more often than he was coming off the bench. But he played a lot of point guard in Golden State, way more than I thought he did. And they, they ran a lot of pick and rolls with him last year. It was something like over 400 pick and rolls, which is a lot. Like, it was it was more than, like, Bradley Beal and Monte Morris did combined last season. And, you know, wow. two guys who ran a lot of them for the Wizards. So they're going to run a lot of pick and rolls with him. He's the point guard. Johnny Davis, as of now, is the shooting guard in that second unit. He's only focused on defense. So it's really kind of like up to Jordan Poole to get going offensively. And I thought we saw a step forward last night. And, and he talked about it after the game about how he's playing much more on the ball than he had earlier this season. So I think he's adapting to that role and, and we'll see the positives in it over time. Yeah, no, I agree. And that's the thing that I think blew my mind earlier this year, Chase, is I just kept looking at the field goal attempts and being like, this is not enough. Like, this dude's got to shoot more. And I don't know whether it's putting the ball in his hands. It's whether it's taking him uh, or giving him more minutes where Kyle is not on the floor because, obviously, Kyle's got high usage. It's not a criticism. It's just, like, he's the best player on the team. He should have high usage. But that means less possessions available for other guys. So when he's on the bench, if all of a sudden JP's the guy, then then he's going to get the ball more. And I just, I like, to me, that's the most encouraging thing. The results are great, but the fact that he's actually shooting again makes it feel like, oh, yeah, like, I recognize that guy. That's Jordan Poole. Yeah, yeah, I mean, just talking about putting him in the on the bench as opposed to the starting lineup. Tyus Jones also has to get his shots. And when you put Jordan Poole at the two combined with Tyus, and it's a little undersized as a backcourt. And also, when Jordan Poole is the two, he doesn't really have a physical advantage over many of the guys guarding him at that spot. But if you put him at the one, he's 6'4", he's fast. Um, he, can, he can find some mismatches at that spot, even though point guards are obviously bigger now than they've ever been. And I just like the idea of having Johnny Davis out there too, just to focus on defense. It's like you don't really have to share the ball as often with you know, a guy like Tyus Jones. He can just kind of go run the offense, and they surround him with shooters. The Wizards have a lot of shooters in their second unit, of course, highlighted by uh, Corey Kispert. So uh, it does make sense. Like the reasoning makes sense, but of course it's up to Jordan Poole to figure it out on his own. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, uh, you working on any – I always like to ask you this because you write some crazy cool stories sometimes. Anything in particular <laughs> you're working on right now? Yeah, uh, so I'm uh, working on a story on Corey Kispert's pregame shooting routine, Ooh. like specifically where he shoots from, how many shots he takes, and talking to other players about it. So I filmed his whole pregame shooting routine last night, and I got to go through it and chart it by the numbers. But I talked to him and got some ins and outs of it. I think it's going to be a pretty cool story. That is awesome. That is that is good stuff. I'm excited to read that. Appreciate uh, it. Chase Hughes, uh, always writing interesting stuff on Monumental Sports website. And then, of course, a, an active participant in their pre- and post-game shows, halftime as well. Sometimes even joining the game broadcast. He's a versatile, versatile man. Uh, Chase, always appreciate your time, sir. Thank you. Absolutely, man. Thanks. Anytime. All right. That is Chase Hughes from Monumental Sports. We'll react to some of the Jordan Poole stuff to close out the hour next on The Hoffman Show. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980. We're always live as well on the free Odyssey app. Hope you're having a great start to your week here on a Monday. Again, we are in studio today, and then uh, and we're on the road again. On the road again. On the road. Okay. Uh, you get the point. We're off to Indianapolis tomorrow. Uh, the show is live Tuesday and Wednesday from Radio Row. And actually... Uh, Vic, I'm going to pull back the curtain the whole way here. 
Uh, we were hoping to have uh, our pal J.I. Hallsell on the show today to talk NFL salary cap. Uh, we're going to talk it amongst ourselves, how we want to spend some of this commander's cap money uh, in the next hour of the show. Um, but uh, we are, and, and he can't do it today because he's getting ready to travel to Indy. So instead, we're going to have him on the show in Indy on Wednesday. Sounds like a good idea. I a like pretty it. Good, pretty good backup plan right yeah. there. I'm pretty pumped about that. So add him to the excellent guest list on Wednesday. Again, that starts with Ian Rappaport, NFL Network's lead insider, joins us to start the show Wednesday on Radio Row. Uh, then we also have Charles Davis, Lance Zerline, now J.I. Halsell. We'll see who else pops by. Siciliano always winds up on the show. Good chance he's on Wednesday. Nice. So we'll see uh, We'll see what we do there. By, by the way, well, what about Indianapolis just being the hotbed right now in the last couple of weeks where all the sports landscape is? You had the NBA All-Star Weekend. Yeah. You have the Combine. I mean, the Pacers are pretty good, right? Yeah, so, I think we actually might be going to the Pacers game on Wednesday night. Pretty I mean, about it, that. The, life goes through there now. Yeah, I, I will say this. Indy, if people – like, is it the place I want to go in February? Typically, no. I've had some very cold Combines. I, it is supposed to be very nice this week, though. Like, it's going to be in the 60s the next two days. Like, I'm going to go run outside. Pretty pumped about that. I thought I was gonna have to do some running on the treadmill. No, no, your boy's going outdoors. Nice outdoors. Um, but uh, it, it's a very cool city for big events because all the major hotels are connected and they're all connected to the convention center. So, like, if you're staying at one of the major hotels, uh, you are you can walk indoors through tunnels to the convention center, which also connects to the mall. They let out right by, like, I'm not staying at one of the major, major hotels. Um, we wanted a little bit more space, so we went to, like, a suites place that's, like, right off of that. But I can walk out of the tunnel, walk across the street, and be in my hotel and some of the main restaurants and stuff. Like, it's a very compact downtown, so it's actually a great place for, for big events. Like, I would never... I never would have thought I'd be on the radio one day being like, Indianapolis is great. <laughs> but it honestly, for stuff like this, it's really a really like for a final four, I would love it to be an indie for the combine. It's great. So it's, it's a, uh, what about food? How's the food? The food is fine. Just for um, average. Yeah. Like it, right. Indy's kind of known for steakhouses. There are some very nice steakhouses. Obviously, you know, you go to, you go to uh, St. Elmo's or uh, their sister restaurant, Harry and Izzy's. That's the pro move. It's the same shrimp cocktail. For the shrimp cocktail, um, actually, it's really the amateur move because it's less expensive and it's literally the same kitchen. Um, <laughs> the point is, uh, it's it's good. Um, if you want a better food city, it's pretty easy to find. There's not a lot of a lot of great restaurants. There are some good ones, but not not as many as like no. We were in Vegas for the Super Bowl. Ate better in Vegas than all the okay. in, in Indianapolis. But did we ever get your thoughts on the NBA All Star? Because no, you were out, right? No. Um, what yeah, you think of it? Quick. Talk yeah. about Jordan Poole here, but we can yeah. talk about this instead and go back to Poole in the next uh, the next hour. We take a bunch of calls in the next hour as well. Pretty pumped about that. And then we got some great guests coming up in the 6 o'clock hour. Um, I think the NBA needs to do something. And I have been someone for years who has said people need to get over the All-Star game being this offensive pickup run. Um because it's kind of like I always kind of have fun watching it because I'm like, you know what? I, we all understand what it is. And when people say they don't play defense in the NBA, no, no, no. This is what it would look like if they don't play defense in the NBA. <laughs> this is how good these guys are. Like the reminder of how insanely talented these men are is 
is, I think, refreshing in a way. However, however, when you have players outright saying, I don't care in the way that Anthony Edwards did, in the way that Nikola Jokic and Luka Doncic have, when like there is not even a fake competitiveness happening, I think you have a problem. And it sucks because these guys do play pickup in the offseason. Like, you know, the, the kind of running joke in NBA circles is like if you want to see a competitive all-star game, go to the, the pickup run at UCLA in the offseason or at Chris Brickley's gym in New York, and you'll see these same guys going at each other's throats. And yet you put it on national television in what's supposed to be one of the great honors of your career, and you you guys can't even pretend to try? Yeah. Like, I hate that. I hate that for the fans. I hate that for us. Like, because the idea of an all-star game is really cool. Like, let's get the best players on the court and see what happens. And it used to be something where you could kind of see who the alphas were. Like, I even remember when some of the younger, like, generation all-stars, like the, the Westbrooks and the Hardens were starting to emerge a little bit. And you go to the all-star game and Carmelo Anthony would destroy them. And you're like, oh, they're still not there yet. Yet. Like, there, you see the the power of some of the veteran like more developed players and like you see the difference right there in front of your eyes. Um, nevertheless, a guy like LeBron. So I I love the idea of an all-star game if you get remotely what it's supposed to be. But I think the NBA needs to do something. And I, I think there's some good options out there. One of which is just paying the guys in the same way that you do the in-season tournament. Like that seemed to work. The guys seem to care about it. Um, but I think there's probably some other things that they can they can try to, but just watch uh, the all-star game in the nineties. Like I was watching Jordan, like going one-on-one against Tracy McGrady. Like first quarters were ending like 20 to 19. Like they were legitimately playing defense and like, as if it was game seven. So just go back and watch all-star games in the nineties and early two thousands. You know, one take that I, here's a, you ready for this sentence, Vic, this is something you probably don't anticipate hearing from me. And I would say don't anticipate hearing (laughs) uh, from me very often, but you know whose take I loved on part of All-Star Weekend? Yeah. Was Stephen A. When he was like, you know who killed the dunk contest? LeBron. Yeah. Because he's right. LeBron never did it. Like, all of the stars, the Jordans, the Kobe's, everyone before him did it. Mm-hmm. All the high flyers. He didn't. It was a little bit of like, I'm too cool for that. And like, dudes don't get hurt in the dunk contest. So the injury thing to me was always overplayed. And credit to Jalen Brown for trying to bring it back. And but Jalen Brown's, you know, a B level superstar, all due respect. I would love to be a B level NBA superstar. Um, but you know, he's not he's not Jason Tatum, his teammate. He's not, you know, LeBron, he's not Steph, he's not whatever. Um, but I think what happened is like LeBron treated the dunk contest that way, and then everyone else treated the entire weekend that way. And it's like, come on, guys. Mm-hmm. Come on. All right, when we get back, Michael Phillips joins us. It's a Monday, and Michael texted me. He's like, hey, are we still doing Mondays? And I was like, you know what? There's stuff to talk about. Let's do a Monday. Michael Phillips with us next. NFL salary cap, a record increase. Does that help or hurt the commanders? Michael will give his take next. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980. We're always live as well on the free odyssey app we are off to indianapolis tomorrow to sit down with a star-studded guest list on tuesday and wednesday but in the here and now uh speaking of star-studded it is time for not my beat today's top story from the perspective of someone who's there you are looking live this just in not my beat that's right the star of stars on this show michael phillips mp on the mic 910 the fan 
down in Richmond. Mike, we've had so many vacations and moving parts and things. I don't even remember the last time I talked to you. It's uh, It's been a minute here, uh, that's for sure. Uh, but uh, I think that that just means we have so much more ground to cover, so much more to discuss, so much more fun to have. So what do you think about them hiring Dan Quint? No, I'm just kidding. We, that's <laughs> that's we, that's too far back in the rewind. You know machine. what? We are still litigating Sam Howell, though. I mean, the more things change. Ooh, yeah, well, I don't know if I'm touching that one today. I, th- I do think it is interesting. I, here's how I will touch this today. I will let you respond, and then we'll get into the substance of what I would like to talk about on more pressing news. But it does feel like th- that like random aggregator blog account no one has heard of. And I don't say that to be demeaning to actual people who do work. I mean literally someone who is making something up out of nowhere tweets a thing, saw, heard reports, saw reports, not I have heard actual information, not I know anything, not I know anyone, just oh, Jeff on the block says that teams are interested in Sam Howell. They put that. People start to retweet it. Enough people retweet it that it gets in the hands of, like, actual media folks who then comment on it. And then it becomes a story that literally got created out of nowhere. And, like, the Sam Howell thing feels like that. I never saw the original report. Was there anyone who actually does reporting that reported this? Nobody does reporting anymore. Um, We, the media, um, need to do a better job of not falling for the the, the blue checkmark brigade uh, because they're very organized, very good at what they do. Um, I, what bothers me more with Sam Howell is the people who are saying, give him another year, like draft an offensive lineman and build around him. Like I, I've seen enough to render a verdict here. I don't think that makes me some sort of like crazy, you know, like guy who gives up on players too early. Like you got a chance to get a quarterback at number two, get a quarterback at number two. Yeah. Or fall in love with JJ McCarthy. Uh, absolutely wreck the Falcons uh, with, with a fake trade that I saw on Twitter this weekend that somebody made up that was completely and totally fair and not biased at all towards the commanders. And then, uh, and then, and then take him uh, and also get their first round pick next year and, and stuff. Uh, all right, Michael, here's what I actually want to talk about. Um, the salary cap comes out late in the week last week. It is the biggest single year over year increase in the history of the league. The cap is now $255.4 million. The commanders have more cap space than anyone else. That is still true. Uh, But now other teams obviously have have different levels of cap space than maybe they thought because of that monumental and historic increase. How does this affect the commanders, the fact that this increase was so large in a year where they hold the most space? Yeah, my initial gut was negatively, right? More people have space, more people have room to spend, contracts go up. You're, I mean, when the NBA did this and made the big one-year leap that led to arguably some of the worst contracts in American sports over the past couple decades, uh, you know, I don't think that's going to happen here. But it, it is very clear the cost of doing business here in this year's free agency is going up. You've got teams who, when given any amount of cap space, are going to use it and use it right now to make their team better. There is no next year. Um, my my thought on reflecting on that is maybe good, um, maybe good in the sense that I don't think these guys are playing for next year's Super Bowl. I don't think these guys are playing to load up their team for next year. Uh, it's possible uh, Adam Peters wants to sit on the sideline for another year and, and let that cap space roll over, which he's allowed to do. Uh, and, you know, things stabilize next year. Teams have spent themselves into a hole. Uh, I don't know that, you know, it necessarily means you'll be better off next year. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know that it was ever a given that they were going to spend their whole 
85 million or whatever it was in this year's cycle. I, I think it's it's always been a possibility. These guys are working off of a two or a three year time period to spend that money. So let's play that game for a second. Let's say Peters is like, let's pocket this. They do have to hit the salary floor, so they have to spend yeah. uh, some of this. Uh, in fact, a lot of it. But like, what does that look like compared to an aggressive free agency uh, spring and offseason for the commanders? Yeah, right. You, you've got to shore up both in-house and, and out-of-house. Um, so uh, you, you probably circle Cam Curl as maybe being your top in-house priority, depending on, you know, I, I guess, you know, with the Rays, you could maybe open up the discussion of whether or not, uh, you know, the, the tag is, is worthwhile for him or a potential road to go down. Uh, I don't think they're going to do it, but it, it, it's a possibility for sure in a world where everybody's going to make more money than you thought they were. Uh, like, let's just go, all, like, crank, crank the dial all the way up, like Chris Jones. Like, you know, could, you, know it, it, you could be the Chris Jones winner. Um, you've got enough money to do that. I think you've got a compelling enough case to make. He could be a star here. It's a defense on the rise under Dan Quinn. Uh, I think there's a compelling case to be made that if you wanted him, you could get him, right, going after a player like that. The, the problem for me is if I'm spending free agent money, I'd, I'd really like to spend it on an offensive lineman. And I don't, you can correct me if I'm wrong here. I don't know that there's, you know, a, a sure thing can't miss guy out there who you'd want to spend that money on. So you talk about taking care of your Kendall Fullers and taking care of your in-house guys, your cam curls, your Kendall Fullers, uh, you know, and kind of kicking that, hitting the floor, kicking that can down the road a little bit would be, uh, w- would be my instinct. But that comes from a guy who says, Hey, you know, what do you need on offense? You need a, an offensive line and a tight end. And I just don't know that this is the market to go find those things in. Yeah, no, there is a bit of a mismatch there. There are a couple guys that I think are interesting, but like no, no surefire stars. Like I actually don't know how much the tackles on the market are an upgrade over Leno and Wiley, for instance. Um, I do think there's a couple of guards. I mean, upgrading at left guard is basically uh, impossible not to do considering the level of play uh, (laughs) there. I'll do respect. Um, But it is the kind of thing where like, could you go out and find a left guard? Sure. Um, But I don't think you're breaking the bank. And it's, so it becomes this weird year where you wonder, do they spend a lot of money on a piece that could make a rookie quarterback's life easier? Like, I don't know, Michael, a star running back. Do you have any interest in Derek Henry, Saquon Barkley or Josh Jacobs? If, if I've got interest in any of them, it is Derrick Henry for me. And I do think Saquon's a really good back, by the way. I'm, I'm not opposed to that. But I, I think Saquon's probably going to get silly money from somebody. And no matter how much money I have to spend, I'm not in the business of, of paying silly money for a running back long term. I, I think Henry's probably going to be the better of the two deals. And I just I love a guy who can get a tough yard. Like, I, he's, he's proven himself durable, proven himself in short yardage. I just... I hate how bad this team was at third and two at, at short yardage situations. He's a guy who, who can take you a long way towards immediately fixing that. I, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not going to close the door on it. Uh, I know a lot of people will just close the door period on paying any running back ever. Um, I, I keep the door cracked open. If I can get a deal I like and, and, and certainly a shorter term deal that I like one or two years, uh, I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Like, if you can get a, a stud, like, professional running back who – and you're not paying a quarterback and your your goal is to make that guy's life easier and you have to spend some money, I think there are worse ways to do it. Um, understanding that you're not doing it because it's a luxury and you're trying to win the Super Bowl, you're trying to develop a young quarterback and that can make that guy's life easier. 
However, Michael Phillips, who is our guest, of course, a uh, host of MP on the mic on 910 The Fan in Richmond. Um, however, Michael Phillips, there is an, an alternate path at quarterback, and I'm not going to say keeping Sam Howell. I'm going to say spending money on a guy like Kirk Cousins. And I realize that is a loaded thing to say in this market because of the past there. But do you have any interest in going the veteran QB route, whether that is a short or long-term investment? Yeah, I, here's why I don't spend a lot of time thinking about that. Kirk isn't coming here. Um, <laughs> I, I just don't think that's something he would enter. I, I don't even think it has anything to do with how he was treated during his years here. I, I think he likes it living up near home. Um, I think he likes the idea of winning a Super Bowl before he's done. Uh, I, I think he wants an immediate payoff, immediate gratification team or a team that can win in the next few years. And this isn't that team and this isn't that coaching staff. And, and I just don't think this is the place for him when it's all said and done. Um, I, I, sure. I love Jacoby Brissett this year, you know, a guy like that. If you want to, if you want to bring in a veteran like that to, to smooth the path, for, for your rookie, if you if you go down that road, um, I am a big believer. This is a drum I've been beating for a while on my show. If you draft a quarterback in the first round, I don't want him starting week one. Even if you go get Caleb Williams, I don't want him starting week one. I just don't trust this offensive line for 17 games. I, I don't think it's good for him in a year where you're not you're not going to be the Texans. You're not going to be C.J. Stroud and set the world on fire. It, it's far more likely you're going to be an incremental step forward. You're going to be a team that looks better, but still not complete. Uh, I like the idea of limiting the amount of exposure my new guy gets to that. Um, so in, in terms of signing a quarterback to play those first few weeks or even interesting Sam Howell to do it, I actually don't have a problem with that at all. So I can hear the fans saying now, but Michael, the Texans were supposed to be terrible. How do you know? Why do you? Why are you entering the the spring with that as your mantra? I don't think it's unreasonable, but it is worth pointing out. Counterpoint: The Texans were supposed to suck, and they made the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. and and it gave the whole team a, a a boost of life for sure. They they had a coaching change that was you know that they provided energy to the organization. I don't know that that this coaching change is necessarily a like. Let's let's put everything into hyperdrive right now. It feels much more of like we're going to be competent adults in the room. Um, we're going to grow this thing and grow this thing organically and well. That that's obviously been Josh Harris and Adam Peters. They're very much on the same page. You know, we'd love to do it as quickly as possible, but we want to do it in a long-term, sustainable way. And none of that is to suggest the Texans aren't doing it in a long-term, sustainable way. Um, but I, I, looking at your opening day roster next year, I, I don't know that you can say this is a team that can contend right now. I think we're probably more likely going to say this is a team that can take a step forward and they'd still one year away. Probably. Um, and the way that they're going to jump that line, if you will, is if they accidentally draft CJ Stroud, um, you know, yeah. Stroud was had the best rookie year ever of any quarterback. Uh, like he was a legitimate MVP candidate. So if they go out and draft Jaden or Drake or Caleb and those dudes wind up being that dude, uh, then then so be it. All right, NFL Combine Week, Michael. Is there anybody in particular, any buddies, any, any position group, any anything that you are particularly looking forward to, uh, whether it's information or workouts coming out of Indianapolis? Yeah, you know, this, this is kind of the time when I start diving into the trenches, right? I, I, I'm a casual college football fan, probably same as a lot of people, and certainly 
versed enough to have an opinion on the quarterbacks, have an opinion on Marvin Harrison Jr., all the things you need to do, you know, to, to be a knowledgeable fan. Uh, this is the week where I start really looking at, at the trenches, and I think it's a huge dilemma of who you go with with that second pick you've got kind of started day two. Do you take an offensive lineman, you know, a, a guy who, you know, the best ones are going to be gone by then, but a guy who can develop into a long-term starter? Or do you go with an edge rusher? Because, you know, with respect to K.J. Henry, there's not a lot there. Uh, you got K.J. Henry in some spare parts right now, and that's a really, really important thing for a football team to have in the year 2024, Craig Hoffman. Uh, you know, I, to me, it's that great push and pull. Is there a guy I really like at either of those spots? Because uh, that, that's absolutely the, the two places I'm looking once the quarterback debate gets settled here. Right. No, I, I agree with you. And we did our first mock draft a couple of weeks ago on take command. And, you know, we have uh, Logan is in love with Darius Robinson. He's like, that is the new commander's football player, the edge from Missouri. Um, so he could certainly be in play there. There's a ton of offensive linemen of, and I, I think the thing that's interesting about kind of those two picks at the top of the second round for Washington is there's going to be options for them and we're going to learn a lot about how this team thinks about personnel and kind of who they want to be, I think, based off of that, because there's going to be a lot of players that are at the positions they need and are kind of equal evaluations but different flavors. And depending on which flavors they pick, I think will tell us a lot more about both these offensive and defensive schemes that right now, Michael, feel very mysterious. It does not feel like they have a plan. <laughs> yeah, you know, to, to kind of riff off of that, that Kurt, Kurt Warner had his tweets this weekend where he said, look, it's really hard for me to evaluate these quarterbacks because they're just they're not asked to do NFL things. They're not asked to, to run NFL routes and concepts and, and make NFL throws. Uh, you know, we'll save that for another day. But, boy, multiply that by five on the offensive line. It, the offensive lines in college – just don't resemble NFL offensive lines at all anymore. It's really jarring. And that's why I think a week like this can be so valuable to see them in NFL style drills in NFL style measurements. Cause for, for all the advancement in the world of scouting in the world of, you know, tape and, and breaking down guys and PFF and all that, at the end of the day, you're probably taking somebody who hasn't done a lot of things you're going to ask him to do on the football field, which by the way, makes JJ McCarthy fascinating. Because there's yeah. not a lot of throws for that guy on film, but there's a lot of NFL throws for that guy on film. And he does pretty well with them. So <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, he, to me, is the most interesting guy of the whole week. Like, Bo Nix had a chance, I think, at the Senior Bowl to solidify himself as QB4. If he went out and he just tore up the Senior Bowl and proved, like, yo, this Penix guy's all right, but, like, I'm on a totally different level. My interviews went great. And he didn't. He had a slow start to the week. He played all right. Um, by the end of it, but he, he just didn't rip apart the week in the way that I think a lot of people thought he was capable of. And now that's left the door open because Panics didn't have that great of a week either. For McCarthy to go in the combine, measure in 10 pounds heavier than he played at Michigan to alleviate some of the size concerns, run a 4-5, and just rip footballs all over the field in the throwing drills, and all of a sudden that dude's going to be QB4 by the time, you know, if we talk uh, a Monday from now, I think I think he's going to be QB4 on most people's list. Yeah, that, that's a great point for the trade-down crowd. Everybody, you know, trade down and, and get your guy. There's never a guarantee when you trade down that you're going to get your guy. All it takes is one team to fall and, and do something unexpected. There's always something unexpected on draft night, right? But the guy you want is off the board all of a sudden, and you make a panic pick, and you pick Josh Doxson. Sorry, wait, I was, I was having a flashback. Oh, why did uh, you but, do that to us? That was rude. <laughs> Rude. But, you know, how, 
how far down can you go and still be assured of getting McCarthy? I think the answer is going to be a lot crazier of a number than you think it is. I will, at this point, if you gave me over under three and a half quarterbacks in the top 10, I would tell you over. I think that McCarthy winds up in the top 10. Uh, but Well, I, as, a, as a lover of storylines and underutilized Michigan quarterback finally getting his due in the NFL, <laughs> I Somebody will find a way to work with that. Yeah, probably. All right, last thing for Michael Phillips, uh, former newspaper writer, current radio host, uh, 910 The Fan in Richmond. Michael, in your long and illustrious uh, radio career, have you ever had a player call in to discuss his contract status like A.J. Brown called into WIP in Philadelphia? WIP gets all the best calls. Remember earlier this year they had the – the guy, the police officer who is who called in to give an Eagles take yes. while pulling somebody over. That, look, I, what if that person a, was listening? By the way, what if that person is like, <laughs> oh son of a, that guy's that guy's coming to get me. <laughs> There's um, Richmond's a great market, DC is a great market, but there is something completely unreplicatable about that Philly market. That's for sure. Who of the players that we have covered together? So I'm going to go since 2015 is the most likely commander slash Washington football player of the past to have done what A.J. Brown did? I think there is a correct answer. Is it D.J. Swearinger? Oh, that's a great call. I was thinking it was Jano. Yeah, well, you, we're, we're in the same ballpark. We're certainly uh, – yeah. we're, we're, we're definitely picking from the – cutting from the same cloth there for sure. Yeah, that's uh, – yeah, yeah that's that, absolutely. Yeah, okay. All right, uh, glad we're on the same page. All right, that's Michael Phillips, everybody. Uh, we're also on the same radio app. You can listen to his show anytime, anywhere on the free Odyssey app on demand. Uh, also, of course, search for his podcast in your podcast feed, the podcast of his radio show, which is, again, MP on the mic every single day on 910 The Fan in Richmond. Miguel, muchas gracias, uh, and we'll see We'll see how much news happens over this week in Indian if we talk again next Monday or if we uh, you know, give it a couple of weeks and let some news I'll, build uh, up in the backlog. I'll be up in D.C. in a couple of weeks. We're doing our show live from the ACC basketball tournament. Oh, you know nice. that's a big deal for us down here. So yeah. if nothing else, hope to see you in person. So. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll coordinate. We'll have your people call my people, a.k.a. we'll text. All right, thanks, Michael. <laughs> Take care. That is Michael Phillips with us here on the Hoffman Show. When we get back, let's circle back to the kind of the middle part of that discussion, and let's do it with you on the phones at 301-230-0980. 301-230-0980. If you can kind of go off the board with some of this commander's cap space, and you could spend it on a running back, you could spend it on a quarterback, would you would you consider that? And which of the players, the Kirk Cousins, the other veteran quarterbacks that are available, or the big three running backs that are all now going to free agency, Josh Jacobs, Saquon Barkley, and Derrick Henry, do you want Washington to pursue any of them? Take your calls on that next. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. Halfway through the show on a Monday, uh, let's reset this. Uh, we are t- coming at you live from our D.C. studios today, but headed to Indianapolis for Radio Row tomorrow and Wednesday. Doc is in, short show, Lady Terps uh, start at 545 on Thursday and then Back in the saddle on Friday with a bunch of stuff that we'll tape on Thursday before we head out from Indianapolis, including uh, Nate Tice, Tom Pelissero uh, on the Friday show, Mike Tannenbaum also on Friday, former NFL executive. 
Uh, Wednesday, amazing show. Uh, Ian Rappaport, Charles Davis, Lance Zerline, J.I. Hallsell, all live on set in Indianapolis. And then tomorrow, uh, we got all kinds of great guests as well. And this time slot, sitting across from me, which this is so weird when you travel, Vic. Uh, when you when you go um, and, and all of a sudden you're sitting here at 5.30 on a Monday in your usual office chair in Washington, D.C., and you go, tomorrow I will be sitting at a table in Indianapolis on Radio Row surrounded by a bunch of other football nerds, and I'll be talking to ESPN's Matt Miller. That's that's when you're reminded that air travel is very cool. Uh, so tomorrow, this time, 24 hours from now, Matt Miller from ESPN, his draft colleague Jordan Reed will also join us at a different point in the show. A couple of other great guests lined up as well. So make sure you're locked in for as much as you can uh, tomorrow, Wednesday. And if you miss any part of it, that is why the podcast is so valuable. So make sure you check that out wherever you get your pods. Right now, though, taking some calls and, and dishing some opinions on the commanders and uh, the free agent market, which is now, according to multiple reports, going to be pretty running back heavy. Um, we saw T. Higgins get the tag in Cincinnati on the wide receiver side of it, but for running backs, no tag for Saquon Barkley, no tag for Josh Jacobs, no tag for Derrick Henry. All three of those premier running backs will become free agents. And my initial thought is no way would I go and spend any kind of significant money on any of those three players. And then I thought about it a little bit more, and this is where I would like to, uh, you know, throw out what I'm thinking and then get your feedback on it at 301-230-0980. That's how this whole radio shenanigan wor- or shenanigans works. Um, Washington is going to likely draft a quarterback at number two overall. Their roster has significant holes in it. There are some positions where I think those holes can be filled very well in free agency. There are a couple of tackles and guards that I'm interested in. There are a couple of safeties that I'm interested in, one of whom is Cam Curl, but there's other guys that I think I like better and would prefer to just spend a little bit of extra money on someone else that are long-term building blocks. This guy's going to be here when this team is competing hopefully three years from now, for a championship. That is the goal, right? You nail this quarterback pick. By year three, he's, like, ready to rumble. You got dudes all over the field. You know, Quan is developed. Forbes is developed. You've drafted a couple of other classes worth of guys. Like, all this stuff comes together, and boom, you hit the ground running. But I think, in the meantime, you want to make sure that you build an environment that incubates that quarterback, where they know that they've got something they can rely on. And if I am a young quarterback and 20 times a game, I can turn around and I can go, Derrick Henry, here is the football. That makes me feel good inside. And that is going to make my job easier. We're going to be on schedule more. Um, It's also going to make my line better. It's probably going to entice my play caller and Cliff Kingsbury to run the ball a little bit more uh, than he otherwise might and protect me. And look, I like Brian Robinson a lot, but it's running back in the NFL. And if you can get more, that's great. Let's let's get more. Chris Rodriguez, I like a lot as well. Um, there's, there's definitely 
things to like. And I think if I was trying to build like a well-rounded team, a scat back third down type is probably the better fit. Ironically, Antonio Gibson's probably on his way out the door and could in some ways fill that as a former college receiver, as you all know. But would Derrick Henry be appealing? Sure. Would, as a downhill runner and kind of a gap scheme system that Cliff used to run in Arizona, like James Conner style, yeah, that Derrick Henry's appealing. Um, is Josh Jacobs appealing in that same system? Yeah. Is Saquon appealing because Saquon's one of the freakiest football players, like best just overall, what's your position? Football player, sir. Um, guys that you could have in the league as, a, as an outlet out of the backfield, as a guy who can hit you home runs from anywhere. Yeah, like I'm interested. I think I agree with Phillips. Uh, you know, he made a good point when he was just on with us that Saquon, because of his age and because of his style, probably requires a little bit more of a long-term commitment. But if you can pay a lot of money for one or maybe even two years worth of any of these guys, and you can get away with that contract, the shorter, fatter contract that doesn't tie you up long-term, I can't say I'm not interested in the name of giving the quarterback uh, a binky, a blanky, a big, giant, 220-pound NFL running back that can smash people's faces and make his job easier. What say you? 301-230-0980. And, of course, uh, if you want to have any other position that you think is worth spending money on, by all means, hit us. Uh, Let's start off with the JYD Junkyard Dog with us here on the Hoffman Show. JYD, what up, man? How you doing, my man? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Appreciate your call. What you got on this uh, this free agency situation for us? Well, free agency, I would, I, w- I, I wouldn't spend any money on on Derrick Henry. I, I just don't like thirty year old quarterbacks who will soon to be thirty one. And I, I and uh, so the only the only running back that I would be interested in would be Jacobs. Yeah, no, I, I, think I, think, I think he's actually, in some ways, the most interesting of the bunch. Saquon's had all these injury issues. Jacobs gives you the downhill banger that Henry is, but in a much younger body. And a guy who's kind of, I think, been underutilized. I mean, he had a one big, heavy carry season, but last year I don't even think he accumulated that many carries. But, I mean, I mean if, I had, if, I had, if I had to do that, I, I would go after, after Jacobs, but... If I if 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 I if I'm if I'm if I'm hierarchy of, of, of a team, I would be saying to myself, if I actually need a running back, why not why not get one from the draft? Well, of course that's an option, right? And this, this is kind of you know the, this draft class in JYD. Appreciate your call as always. Like this draft class is kind of a weird one at running back. I'd say a lot of folks nationally are doubt on it. Logan and I actually spent a little time on this on take command that we recorded today. Uh, It'll be out first thing tomorrow in your podcast feeds, but like this is a draft that doesn't have the Bijan. It doesn't have the Saquon. It doesn't have a top stud running back, but it's got a kind of a running back third round range. Any, any kind that you like, it's got the bruisers. It's got the, Whatever, but like if you're or the scat backs, the third down guys, but if you are trying to incubate a young quarterback, what is going to give that quarterback more confidence? A fellow rookie or a dude who's had 2,000 yard seasons in the league? 
And that's, I think, the appeal of potentially spending some money because at the end of the day, like this, this free agent class, especially if Brian Burns gets tagged, there's just not a lot. Like, you, of course, you can spend money. You can bring back Cam Curl, and I would almost do it on the tag. Like, I'm not, I, I don't know that I want to commit to him long term until I see him in this defense. Now, does it raise the price for him next year? Potentially, but it doesn't commit you long term. You know, we talk about bringing Kendall Fuller back. Like, what does that mean? Back to, is there some like is there some benefits of incumbency in terms of they've played together before and there's there's communication that has happened, and you know he's a, a good vet who knows some of these guys. Sure, but it's a new system, so like I would I would score more points for an incumbency if there's somebody like Stephon Gilmore coming out of Dallas who played for Quinn and Witt last year. He's almost more valuable to me than Kendall Fuller in terms of incumbency, in terms of uh, continuity. Because the continuity of players playing together who have played together before, if they're in a completely new system and environment, is kind of wiped away. And so what are we actually talking about when they have a league-leading amount of cap space? Uh, what are they actually going to spend it on? And that, that to me, is where this gets super interesting. Like, what exactly do you want the commanders to spend on? And I think that there is something to the logic of nothing that's a long-term commitment. And at that point, you can afford some luxuries like a veteran running back if they're willing to take your money for a year and know that they're probably going to be a part of a, a not as good team. Um, as opposed to a guy, if Derrick Henry's like, you know what? I could get 18 million in Washington on a one year deal and eat up a bunch of their cap space, which is actually helps them reach the salary floor and know I'm a part of a rebuilding project and see how, where we stand in a year. Or I can take 3 million and go to, Kansas City and know I'm going to compete for a Super Bowl. What's it worth to you? And I think that's that's the question that some of these running backs might have to ask. Uh, let's go to JT in D.C. JT, thanks for calling. You're on the Hoffman Show. Hey, how you doing, man? Doing well. What you got for us on free agency? Free agency, uh, just like the previous call, I, I, I would not. I, mean, I, I like everything that you're saying. It, it sounds good, but I, I would not touch any of those running backs. But I will go after uh, Patrick Queen uh, Hart um, at the LB position from Baltimore. Sure. I think they'll end up franchise. I think they'll end up franchising uh, Matabuke. Uh, so I think he he should be uh, fair game. I also would go after Bryce Huff from the Jets. And uh, the last guy just man dropped off the tip of my tongue. Um, damn, happens to the best of us. Oh, Jay, Jay, Jalen Johnson from uh, the yeah. corner from Chicago. Yeah, uh, no, the DB there. Yeah, no, he's he's a good player. Um, appreciate the call, man. That's a, that's a good list. And and here's what I would say to JT and to anybody else who's got a list like that. If you hit those, those are guys that are long term investments. Those are guys that you're spending money on because you're going in three years when we want to compete for a championship, they're going to be integral parts. And a guy like Queen is a culture setter. I don't dislike that. Um, I do wonder, is he a signal caller type? I feel like Roquan was the – I got to check. Um, I don't want to speak out of turn. But, like, if, is he a green dot guy? Because you've got Jamin Davis, at least for this year, not that that should necessarily stop you unless you think Jamin's uh, – unless you think Jamin's a huge part of your future – but Queen's a culture setter, changes your defense instantly. Um, he also has played in a 3-4, so what is he as a 4-3 Mike Linebacker? Like, that is a 
different position, different ask, different needs. But I don't, I don't hate that idea. Jalen Johnson, like, does he fit your scheme? Does he fit what you want to do? Like, these are the questions that they've got to answer. Um, but there, there are good players available, I guess, is, is ultimately, like, the point here. There are good players available. The question is, how do they fit in what Washington wants to do? And knowing that what Washington wants to do is, of course, win football games, but is also establish a culture and establish a way of playing and establish um, a, a, an environment that can breed young players into the best that they can be in the long term. We'll talk more about some of those young players, by the way, coming up in the 6 o'clock hour with Eric Edholm from NFL Media. Their longtime or their draft analyst, longtime Yahoo sports writer, made the flip a couple years ago to NFL.com. Uh, also, you'll hear some of Logan and I's takes on whether or not the combine is kind of losing its luster and what that means is some of the top guys have started to uh, announce that they are not participating. So a little take command preview for you coming up in the 6 o'clock hour as well. More of your calls next, though, 301-230-0980 on The Hoffman Show. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app, streaming live on YouTube at the Team 980. You missed any part of the show, you can always check the podcast. Just search the Hoffman Show in your favorite podcast app, which, of course, is the free Odyssey app. But just in case you use a different one, we are there, too. Oh, there it is, Vic. There it is. The beeping. I, I can hear it. Yeah, there's nothing I can do about it. Where's that even coming from? It's, there's a computer down here, and I don't know what it is. <laughs> and we've asked asked to get it, but because it happens so sporadically, like they don't really know what it is. Wow. Hopefully so, no one can hear it on the radio. Oh, no, they can definitely hear it. Okay. There's not intermittent cussing happening in the background. It's just <laughs> sometimes there's beeping that happens. And it'll go away in, like, at this point, probably about seven, eight seconds, I'm I guessing. Hope, I hope so. Yeah, um, but I just, I'm at this point, you know, I was talking, it's it's like if you have a lot of kids and one of them is screaming. Um, I was talking to my, my buddy, Chris, uh, a couple, this is like a year ago, and he's got four kids. And Chris, Chris was telling me about fatherhood and he's just like, uh, look, when you, when you have your first kid, anytime they move, you're like, oh my God. Yeah. The second one, like, you know what to expect more so. Oh, see, there goes the beeping. Ah, thank you. Yeah, we're done. We're done. Uh, so the second kid, it's like, oh, got to watch it. Okay, we're good. The third kid, you're like, eh, you're fine. <laughs> and the fourth kid, you're like, someone's screaming. <laughs> and that's, I'm now at fourth kid status with this beeping. It, is it random times or is it always at a set time? No, that's the funny bit. For a while, it was like the first, like we'd get on the air and it would start. And it'd be like, really at 4.02? But it's it's moved around a little bit. Maybe uh, the rooster might have planted a device in there. We don't know Ooh. about. He might have tried. He might be trying to sabotage. Is the rooster up to no good? Yeah, we have to again, do some investigation on that. Again, I just would like engineering to be like, oh, I know what that beeping is, and then fix it. But we can't seem to figure it out. There's an engineer right there across the hall. I, I could, know. I see him. Yeah, see we him. should. And in, in the break, can we? Because uh, sometimes I forget to tell them things. So I say that I've told them. I definitely have told them at some point, but probably not recently. So. Uh, can we let's Vic between the two of us remember in the commercial break to uh yeah I'm trying on to over air traffic control them well, over see, to the but studio. I need you I need you to I need you for the rest of the segment so oh all right 
Yeah, because um, you had you had some. I was talking to you in the break, and you had some good thoughts on uh, how Washington could potentially handle this uh, this whole. We got a lot of money situation. Yeah, the, I actually liked your running back thought. Uh, yeah, I was initially thinking about Saquon Barkley, but then as I'm going through all the free agent lists, how about a good cheaper option? And it's staying in the NFC East in Tony Pollard. I don't I, hate it. I mean, that guy. I think that guy is very underrated in terms of being a running back, and he's a great pass catching running back too. It, I I think the idea of getting so like putting Pollard back where he was when he was with Zeke like prime Zeke and young Tony Pollard, like, yes, Tony Pollard proved last year, not a pro or I just, he proved he was a number one back. I don't think he's a premier number one back. You put him in a rotation with Brian Robinson. Now we're cooking. I think he would be a better than Antonio Gibson. I agree. Yeah, no, I would, I would say that he is a better speed, like out of the backfield back than AG. And I like AG. But I think if you if he's your third down, and he's more than a third down back, right? Like you can play him on first and second down, but like in that role of your pass catch, your JD McKissick plus, your Antonio Gibson plus, your Chris Thompson back in the day plus, your better version of all those guys, who, by the way, if you need to start, like you're you're not in a bad situation, but you can split carries with Chris Rodriguez. Like, I think that's a great pickup for much less money. But I, I do think, like, the idea of spending on a running back, and, like, in a way you're zigging when everyone else zags. You can you can take advantage of a bit of a market inefficiency. And it, I would say also, Vic, did you see Pollard on McAfee's show at the Super Bowl? Uh, no, and I watched a lot of I watched a lot of his shows, but I did not see that. So Pollard, it had been at that point, what, like a week and a half, a week since Quinn got hired? Uh-huh. Pollard didn't know. Really? He, like, I don't know whether he's on vacation, but he, like, doesn't have social media. So it would be hilarious if Tony Pollard wound up playing for Dan Quinn in Washington after not knowing he had the job and was leaving Dallas for, like, a week after Dan Quinn had left Dallas. Well, if he ever joins the Commanders, hopefully he'll know. Yeah. <laughs> hey, buddy, did you know that uh, that Dan Quinn's the head coach here? He was the guy that coached defense in the last place you were. Yeah. And so that guy, that guy, that it's guy. Joe Witt. He was also there in Dallas with you, and now he's here. <laughs> That'd be a funny bit. Yeah. That would be good. All right. Uh, I like that idea. I like that idea. I like that more than any of the veteran. Like, I think they should sign, whether it's, I don't think Jacoby's going to want to come back. Like, I think Brissett's going to want to go somewhere that he feels like he can start. And maybe, you know, Cliff and them are like, look. We're going to draft a kid. This kid's going to replace you eventually. But unlike last year when you were told you're going to have a chance to win the job and didn't, like, unless this kid comes into camp and is amazing, you're starting for us. And if you win football games, you're going to stay the starter for us. So you want that? Okay, cool. Here's another $10 million of Josh Harris's money. If that's the case, I think Jacoby might be interested. But I am definitely curious because, like, him and he does know, like, Terry and John throws those guys well. So, like, there's some power and continuity there. But I do think they need to sign a vet to be in the room. Um, we'll see who that guy is. But that I, I like that more than, you know, going the Cousins path or whatever. And, and I do – well, I think Cousins would be open to coming to Washington because it's a completely new regime and, like, any of the baggage is gone. I do tend to agree with Michael Phillips and what he said at the top of the hour, which is that – situationally, this doesn't feel like the right place for Cousins 
unless they can make massive investments in the draft and, and in free agency and other places to prove that they're ready to win next year. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980. We're always live as well on the free Odyssey app. And when we get back, we will talk NFL Combine, get a full preview from our guy Eric Edholm. Stoffman Show, we're on the Team 980. We're always live as well on the free Odyssey app, streaming live on YouTube at the Team 980. And tomorrow, we'll be doing all of that from the NFL Combine. We're on Radio Row in Indianapolis. And to get us ready, uh, one of my favorite people to see out in Indy. Can't wait to see him in person. Hopefully tomorrow. We typically run into each other very early in the day. Uh, it is Eric Edholm from NFL.com and NFL Media. Double E, how we doing, man? It's your week. It's Combine week. It is. It's a big week. Yeah. I mean, not just for uh, draft stuff. Obviously, a lot of meeting of the minds in the indie after hours, uh, early mornings, <laughs> what have you, free agents uh, uh, looming, certainly yep. with the agents all in town. It's a big week. So, yeah, I'm excited, man. Yeah, it's, it's a great week. Um, always something to look forward to every year. There's a reason why. Um, all of us keep going. So let's let's get into what this week is, though, because I think there's kind of the, obviously the the glorification by the league of the workouts. They've now put it in prime time. You know, it's it's the underwear Olympics. Everyone's heard all those lines before. But as you actually prepare for this week, what are some of the things that you are looking for, especially some of these top names, whether it's the top quarterbacks or a guy like Marvin Harrison aren't going to do much, if anything, this week? Yeah, it sounds like uh, you know a few of the quarterbacks won't be throwing. I mean, you know, again, not a not a shocker. We see this every year, and you know, I always say, I always joke to people. I'm like, can you even remember who threw at the combine? I mean, obviously, those of us who go and watch it on TV pretty closely do. But I think the point being, right, just because somebody doesn't throw or work out at the combine doesn't mean their their NFL prospects are doomed. Of course, but um, yeah, I mean, it often provides a a showcase, you know, I mean, DJ Turner running a four two nine, I think, you know, helped his cause as an undersized corner last year and, you know, other uh, other players that outperform their expectations athletically is, is certainly something that can move the needle a little bit. There's obviously a, a, a quotient that we don't always get the full info on, which is the interview process, certainly part of the, the you know, the, the full picture you're trying to build on on a, on a draft class and a prospect individually but also the medical stuff and you know that that gets leaked out over time usually or we'll find out some information while we're in India occasionally but you know when you boil it down I think really the interview and injury uh, information end up outweighing any athletic testing stuff and you know it's, it's really great to see the guys throw in person you can always I thought Mobile was very valuable in terms of balancing and weighing the the arm talent of the different quarterbacks there and you can get something out of this uh this process as well from that perspective yeah no doubt about it um and I will say like my I've only gotten the chance to watch the guys throw once it was like the first year they let a select group of media in now of course media yeah. can go watch the workouts and the most impressive thrower I saw was Dwayne Haskins who wound up in Washington and obviously right. you know obviously the, that story took a, a sad and tragic turn at the very end in terms of his his life but um as a quarterback it, it didn't work in the league so you can only get so much from that yeah. that anyway um in terms of guys that are going to work out that we we know this week is really important to them um and it could be some first rounders could be some guys that you think you know they have a good week and and right now they they're later in the draft they bump up and they could be really good nfl players like this is what you do you're you're the draft guy uh when it comes to nfl.com so what who are some of the guys that you have your eyes on going into this week 
Yeah, I think if you start a quarterback, there, there's there's probably two really interesting stories that that could come out of this week, and and one would be Drake May. I mean, with with Caleb Williams, uh, not expected to throw or work out. I'm sure he'll interview and do stuff behind the scenes, but um, you know, possible number one overall pick. We don't know what's going going on in Chicago. We don't know what's happening elsewhere, but pretty good bet he's either going first or second. But you know, May is somebody who is expected to work out. We haven't heard definitively yet, but it uh, sounds like he'll give it a go. And, you know, there, there's some impressive stuff on this kid. I mean, some people saying he's got some some Justin Herbert to him, some Joe Burrow, you know, really athletic and talented guy. He's got great bloodlines. And how he throws can, can maybe change the conversation a little bit. I don't think it's a consensus that, that you know, Caleb Williams is – unquestionably the top quarterback on every team's draft board. Now, whether that impacts the top spot or not, I don't know. But, you know, the difference between one and two is big. I mean, I know it sounds like one spot, but, you know, financially speaking and then also, you know, football-wise and how it all works out, it can have a huge impact. We saw Trevon Walker surpass uh, Aiden Hutchinson a few years back, and, you know, we're still talking about and debating that one to this day. So, you know, how May performs is going to be fascinating. Michael Penix, I think, is a big one. I mentioned the behind-the-scenes stuff, the injury stuff. He has a litany of injuries. Four season-ending injuries in his career, uh, two shoulders, two ACLs. You know, had the ankle that he that he banged up in the national title game, had a few other uh, little nicks and bruises along the way. So, you know, there's going to be a more scrutinized player in Indy. I don't know of one. I mean, I think he's going to be one of the big – potential gainers or losers based on what comes out of his evaluation. We know he can throw it. I mean, obviously he's got a golden arm, but the, the, the medical testing for me is going to end up deciding not only his ceiling, but also his floor as a prospect. So that's a big one right there. I think some players like Lad McConkey and Roman Wilson, who are productive college receivers, but come with maybe – I don't say suspicion, but can they be true number ones or can they be, you know, lead receivers for, for good football teams and, and how well they test for, not say smaller guys, but not bigger receivers, right? Especially in this class where there's a lot of length, there's a lot of athleticism, um, you know, bigger framed receivers than those two guys. But both went down to Mobile, perform well. Wilson's expected to run well. I bet McConkey runs better than people think he will. And, and by also running, I mean, some of the agility drills as well, free cone and all that stuff, 20-yard shuttle. I mean, those, those matter for receivers who are, who are shiftier, you know, change of direction guys. So I think those are two big ones. And then I guess, you know, if we're sticking with like the fantasy football kind of angle here, right? the running back position is really interesting to me in that we don't have a clear-cut number one right now. I'll be curious to see if one – or two, you know, emerge out of the group right now. And there are you know, plenty of guys like Jonathan Brooks from Texas who have, you know, injury questions as well. And, yeah, I would just say that for, for as strong an offensive draft as this is, we, the running back in position is probably the most unsettled at the top as far as, you know, who might be the first two or three backs off the board. 
That's super interesting, especially considering how diluted the position has become, generally speaking. Uh, Eric at home, mm. lead draft writer, NFL.com, is with us here on the Hoffman Show, getting us ready for the NFL Combine this week in Indianapolis. So if we talk about the quarterbacks and who Washington is circling at number two, obviously, if Williams drops, he's in the mix. May, Jaden Daniels. And then, you know, I, I guess one of the questions I would have, Eric, is like part one of the question is, which one of those top three guys do you think fits best with Washington with what Cliff wants to build, which still seems pretty undefined that he's, he's flexible in, in what he wants to build, but knowing what we know about sure. Cliff, like which, which of those guys would you be targeting if you were him? And then I guess the second thing I would, I would love to get your perspective on is how big is the gap to the next three guys? If all of a sudden an Atlanta, for instance, at eight gives you a massive offer to trade down and you know, you still want to take quarterback, but like how big is the, the drop to Penix McCarthy and Knicks, assuming those are your next three? Yeah, right. In whatever order, too. I mean, that's the interesting part. I mean, J.J. McCarthy probably helped himself by, you know, not going to the Senior Bowl. Not, I mean, he could have, I guess. But, you know, it was one of those things where sometimes a player not being an event uh, where Nick started slowly and, you know, got better as the week went on and Penix started out pretty well and then kind of leveled off and didn't play in the game. You know, McCarthy all of a sudden is a fascinating guy and, and how high he goes will be a big story this week, too. So that's that folds into what Washington's trying to do is, is figure out, hey, if, if, you know, if we don't get Caleb and obviously the ties there, you know, he's a D.C. kid and Cliff had him last year. And, um, you know, it's easy to see how he would be, be a franchise igniter, right? I mean, you, you add that kind of name power and talent to a, to a team that's been a little bit woebegone in some ways. And, hey, you know, there's buzz. So, I can obviously see why why he would be an easy connection to make the air raid offense and all that, but still, Caleb Mays came from. Uh, I mean, uh, Caleb Mays, excuse me, uh, Drake Mays, excuse me, came from a very similar system in North Carolina. You know, flawed as it may be, I mean, he ran it really well at times, and obviously has NFL ability. So, you know, it wouldn't be hard to project him in that offense as well. Kid from just down the road, I don't know that he would generate quite as much buzz, but. He's got some name value to him for sure. And the talent is what you're really most curious about. I mean, look, you know, there was an interesting debate last year with, with Stroud and Bryce Young and, you know, how that whole class shook out and who was the, the real star of the group. Was there a star in the group? Well, we got kind of a fascinating answer last year. I mean, I don't know that anyone expected the gap to be as big as it showed after one season you know, situations be damned and all that. So I don't know. You know, I don't know that there's a massive difference. If you had a fully healthy Michael Penix, like no injury questions, first of all, he probably would have come out before this, but still, sure. how good is he? You know, I mean, that's the question you have to ask yourself. Maybe there isn't a massive gap between the top three and, and the next three, so to speak. Yeah, I think the other interesting factor that I have real trouble squaring is the age part of it. And Daniels mm -hmm. and Penix and Knicks are all older guys. The other three are all younger. Um, and McCarthy's like really young. May's actually pretty yeah. young. Um, they're actually pretty close to the same age. Like, how does that two year gap? both effective evaluation of like, okay, well, yeah, he was awesome as a senior, but he was a 23-year-old going up against 19-year-olds and also how NFL teams factor that into what they'll ultimately get out of the player. Yeah, I mean, what it might tell you for an older prospect is that, you know, what you, what you see, what you've seen so far 
is probably going to be closer to their ceiling, right? That's probably, again, the difference between college and NFL has to be weighed and, and factored in and all that. But, you know, the idea being that a lot of NFL teams feel like most athletes sort of hit their, their peak, maybe not mentally speaking, but physically somewhere in that, you know, 22 to 23 range. So, you know, is, is Jane Daniels going to be better than he was last year? Can he make strides as a passer? He's got a talented arm. He can obviously throw on the move. You know, his running ability is unquestioned, I think, at this point. But, you know, is there is there upward mobility for him to develop as a passer? The obvious answer is yes, but how much? And, you know, I look at Burrow as a good example. I mean, he was older than what Penix will be coming into this class, relatively speaking, 24 uh, after the draft. I think he turns May or something like that. He turns 24. So, you know, is that ancient? No. 25 and above, you're starting to really kind of push it a little bit. But I, I feel like 24 still kind of gives you a little bit of leeway based on the success of some other rookie quarterbacks who've entered the league at that age. But there are some highly analytic-driven front offices that just don't see the value in taking that player at that point. You know, obviously at a certain point in the draft they would, but based on where they're likely to go, probably wouldn't be their first choice. And it's an interesting approach. I mean, everyone's got a kind of a different view on that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, remember when Brandon Whedon was a first round pick at 28? Oh yeah. Why did 29 do- years old, whatever he was, yeah. the rookie. Yeah. Yeah. 28 first round, uh, oldest first round selection ever. 22nd overall by the <laughs> Cleveland Browns. That was that was a different era of Cleveland Browns football. Uh, thankfully for yeah, for Cleveland yeah, they won't fans. touch anybody over twenty two now. It seems it's unbelievable, they, right? Maybe they learned their lesson uh, with specifically Brandon <laughs> Whedon. Uh, Eric Edholm, yep. uh, always welcome here on the Hoffman Show, but especially uh, you will always hear him this time of year uh, around the draft. Eric, uh, safe travels to Indy. I will see you there, my friend. And thanks as always for your time. Looking forward to it, buddy. See you there. All right, that sounds good. Uh, see you hopefully tomorrow. Uh, that's Eric Edholm with us here on the Hoffman Show. Uh, still to come on this radio program, which is not quite done yet. No, no, we still have much more uh, here on the show. We will talk with Logan Paulson. Uh, well, you'll hear my talk with Logan Paulson. We'll take command action from you getting ready uh, for the Combine from a different uh, perspective coming up at 630 uh, and we'll do more combine talk uh, as we get you ready next tomorrow's shows uh, live from Indy. So keep getting you ready here on the team 980. It's the Hoffman show on the team 980. Always live as well on the free Odyssey app uh, after dark here. Uh, we, we've shifted again. I feel like we had gotten past this. that or I just Vic, I might have been out so long. I don't remember anything. But I know that daylight savings time is coming soon. Is that this weekend? Uh, it might be. It might be next week. I have it on my calendar. I do too. To, but um, we spring see. forward one hour. Right, and that makes it less. So at two a.m., it would actually be three a.m. Right. Um, which you, you lose an hour, but it it you know we'd be done by now. Uh, right? yeah, that's because it, it's it's seven twenty. Uh, the tenth is when that happens. Yep, Sunday, March tenth. Sunday, March tenth. Um. No, this weekend we get something totally different. We get Formula One back this weekend, which I'm excited about. You're, for, you're a Formula One guy? Thank, me and millions of other Americans who watch Drive to Survive and got hooked. Wow. Are you? No. You watch Drive to Survive? Mm-mm. Never even heard of it. You have Netflix? I do have Netflix, yes. You should watch Drive to Survive. 
I don't just racing's not my thing. It wasn't mine either. You were not a racing guy. No. You watched this and now you're hooked. Yeah. I don't know. At the very least, I'm not saying you'll get hooked on like you'll actually watch the races, but the show, it's ten episodes. There's now season, I think this is season six that's out now that just came out on Friday. Happy birthday to me. Um you'll I think you'll like the show. It's the drama of sports. How long is the episodes? Is it thirty? They're forty ish. Forty ish minutes. I just don't know if I have the time for it. Oh, you're a very busy man. Yeah, very busy. What do you do during the day, Vic? Play Madden. Mm. <laughs> I got I got Super Bowls to win. You do with <laughs> Sam Howe. Yes. With Sam Howe. Yeah. Um, funny, funny about it. I am curious. So apparently, Ralph Vacciano from Fox Sports actually did some of the reporting um, that allegedly, Sam, like, there are teams that are interested in like a third round pick uh, for Sam. Or he he. Someone posited to him, not that teams are interested, not that he, he was like, I have a team that is interested in a third-round pick, but or in giving a third-round pick for Sam Howell. But he's like, well, if Trey Lance got a fourth. Why couldn't Sam Howell get a third? And it's like, and then that turned into a whole news cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very curious to see if there is uh, vast Sam Howell discussion in Indianapolis because I don't think he'll be a, a topic. I just don't. I, I'd rather have him as a backup. Or even a starter, and then whoever we draft, sit on the sidelines for a few games. Well, I mean, the thing is with with um, with with how like he I don't know how well he knows this offense. Like, if it's a similar area system to what he ran at North Carolina, potentially, then maybe he's helpful. But like, what does he offer? He's a and I again I like Sam, and I was midway through the season like I think this dude's a future starting quarterback. Like I would be there and then I saw the rest of the season but like he doesn't have a vast amount of experience so like I would say this like if you can get a third rounder you should do that today oh hands down yeah you drafted him as a fifth rounder two years are gone off of his rookie contract and you can get a third rounder back that's a return on investment baby it is but who would who would think about that there's no chance that anyone would offer that that's what I don't understand I, I, I truly don't understand it at all. Like, what team is like what team is is offering that? Like, I understand conceptually, if Lance got a fourth, wouldn't you take a third for Sam? Like, yeah, because um, I think Sam's proven to be the better NFL quarterback. Trey Lance hasn't gotten to play a whole lot. Um, well, what but, what teams would be in the market for like a Sam Howell? Yeah, but I, I like I truly don't know. Like I could see. All right, let me play this out. Let me let me try to do this in my head. Like let's say Minnesota resigns Kirk, but they're not confident he's going to start the season. Would you be willing to trade a third to have Kirk Cousins insurance in the form of Sam Howell? I don't know about a third, maybe a fourth or a fifth. That's too expensive for a placeholder. Uh, just too expensive. Minnesota probably yeah probably but like maybe that's the kind of team that does it I mean like you you, could, you kind of need like someone who you think might play but maybe also, Denver but I feel like maybe they would be in more like JJ McCarthy right but like did, at that point right. why don't you why not just draft the guy right which is why no one will spend on a Sam Howell expensive yeah I don't I don't get it. I Seahawks? Get it. I mean, you like Geno Smith. You would take Geno Smith over Sam Howell? Yeah, I'm, I don't even like Geno Smith. Right. 
I don't like Geno Smith. I do like Sam Howell. I'd rather have Geno start for me tomorrow. Yeah. No one else in the NFC West. Um, and plus, they have Drew Locke as a backup. I think he's got one more year left, although he might be on the free agent market. Um, I just, I, it's like, I don't even know what the, the profile, I mean, I get like, if you're the Rams, right, and you've got Stafford who gets hurt every single year and you need a guy who you think for three games can keep you afloat. Or again, if you're if you're the Jets and you're not if you're scared about Rodgers coming back, and or you're Minnesota and you're scared about Kirk, I get it. That would be the kind of team. But I don't think those guys are giving up a third. And like you want someone who's got a little bit of experience. You don't want a young guy. You're ready to win now. How about and, and the you're hoping Steelers? that he, he keeps you afloat? I mean, I guess they they got to figure out their starter. Is Pickett the guy? I honestly might think Sam Howell's better than Kenny Pickett. I would probably agree with that. <laughs> um, I don't know if you, I, Vic. Apparently, we can go play for Mike Tomlin. Uh, this is so. Actually, this is this is something I want to talk about tomorrow um, because we have one of the things we're doing tomorrow on the show from Indy is we're going to do. This is probably going to be my topic. Actually, we're doing a, a reporter, an NFL roundtable, basically, and it's going to be me, Brooke Pryor, who covers the Steelers for ESPN. Uh, Ben Solak, who writes about all things football and is an X's and O's guru for The Ringer. And then we'll have one other uh, person on the panel as well, TBD. Uh, I don't want to give a name until it's finalized. Um, But I want to ask, with Brooke on the panel as someone who's covered Tomlin, Solak, who covers the league, and one of the people we're considering covers another very good team. Like, with Quinn coming here, what makes a great NFL head coach? And I really want to know Brooks' answer as someone who's covered Tomlin. And so I, I long wind up in shameless self-promotion of our radio show tomorrow to say, Vic, I do think the Steelers would still win nine games if we played quarterback. <laughs> He's we, never had a losing season, ever. That's crazy. Not one. Not the, one. the fact that people were thinking that he was going to potentially be available as a head coach is asinine to think. I, w- I never entertained it for a second. Never did. Not one. Nope. The Steelers don't fire coaches, and he's too good. Um, if you're going to fire a guy and everyone else would fight over your guy, you shouldn't fire that guy. Right. Um, that's kind of typically how that goes. <laughs> All right. Uh, it's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980. We're always live as well on the free Odyssey app, and we are live from Indianapolis starting tomorrow for a couple of days of shows from Radio Row at the NFL Combine. Incredible guest list. All NFL insiders, draft Knicks, like, Anybody who's anybody covering this thing, um, we got like 90% of those people on the show. And the other ones, we just, I, my flight got in too late, which is a bummer. Uh, but excited to do that over the next couple of days. There's also a chance we have some commanders folks on the show. Uh, still working on through the details of that. So obviously, if that comes through, we will uh, promote the hell out of it. So you'll know. That's, that's a service. That's not us shamelessly promoting. That's us doing a service to you so you know when to listen. And if you can't listen... We do another service. It's called a podcast, and you can get that anywhere you get your podcast just by searching for The Hoffman Show. When we get back a clip of a different podcast. Uh, still still the same host, though. Uh, Take Command, Logan and I talked about the continuing trend of top players sitting out of the NFL Combine. Worth it or not? Uh, mistake or not? Logan and I discuss next on the Team 980. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980. We're always live as well on the free Odyssey app. 
Take Command Podcast, of course, me and Logan Paulson. You can catch it multiple times per week in your favorite podcast app. And we give you a little snippets, little previews, uh, some good discussion here on the show. Uh, and this latest uh, uh, clip that we're going to give you is actually for a podcast that's not out yet. Uh, you can catch it on YouTube tonight and in your podcast feed first thing tomorrow morning in full. But we started off the show talking about how uh, – Top prospects like Marvin Harrison Jr. and some of the top quarterbacks are not working out. And what does that mean for the NFL and the NFL Combine before we head there ourselves starting tomorrow? It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take Command Podcast. What's up? What's happening? That is Logan Paulson. I am Craig Hoffman. We are sitting in our homes in the greater D.C. area. But, Logan, it is Combine Week. We are headed to Indy soon. Yeah, headed to Indy soon. Very exciting. Always, you know, it's like the uh, like the reunion for the NFL every time it's out there. And it's also fun to see all those young athletes come out and kind of do incredible stuff. So. So it's a it's a reunion that actually launches us perfectly. I don't think you did this on purpose, but uh, you're just so talented. You just you're just mm, chef's kiss. So good at this. Uh, it kind of launches us into our first topic, which is the reunion's not as big as it used to be. Yeah, um, you yeah. now have a lot of NFL coaches that are not going. Commanders. Um, I heard Kime say on his pod the other day that they're not sending any of their assistants out there. DQ is going for a short, a very short time. Um, in part just to do his media responsibilities. And then he's headed back because there's so much work. I know LaFleur and the Packers staff not going. Like, there's a lot. I don't think Sean and Kevin have gone for the past couple of years. I, Kevin was there last year for a short time. But, like, those guys get in and out pretty quick. Yeah. Some of them do the press conference. Some of them are now skipping the press conference and saying, I don't even care about that. Mm. So it, it's – but they're certainly not staying for the workouts. And they're letting their scouts and that the college operation do that. And then on the player's side, you have top guys, I would say, doing even less than ever. We've always had top guys, top quarterbacks especially, not throw. You know, certain guys won't run certain drills. But you have a guy now like in Marvin Harrison, according to Albert Breer's reporting this morning, that he's not even training for any of this stuff. He's not even going to do a pro day. Like, he's training for football next year. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of, obviously, offshoots about this. But as the NFL, as a league, is pumping the combine up as this big entertainment event, what do we make about the fact that the people inside the league, players, coaches, our prospects and coaches, seem to be making less of it? So I don't know if they're making less of it. I think just times have changed. And what I mean by that is, like, I think, you know, when you talk to guys from the Miami Dolphins or guys from San Francisco, you know, they don't, Kyle doesn't send anybody out anymore. They record the whole event. And so I remember talking to a couple of coaches from Miami last year, basically saying, like, I don't need to watch the on-field stuff anymore because I can watch it on tape. And it's easier for me to compare tape to tape as opposed to seeing some guys in person and some guys, um, you know, on tape where I don't get the opportunity to see them at the combine or whatever it is. So I do think because of technology, because of Zooms, because of all this different stuff, like the the how people are engaging with the combine is different. It's still extremely important. Like, don't get that twisted. It's still a huge data point for all the scouts and everybody. And if they're not going to do stuff at the combine, they're definitely going to do it at the pro days. But um, I think it's, uh, I think it's interesting. And I think it's, you know, to your other point that the, the, the kind of higher level guys aren't really doing stuff. I think it's smart. I think it's smart. If you are Marvin Harrison Jr., the only thing that can happen for you is bad. Like 
what do you run a four two? Are you going to go any higher? No, like you're going to go where you're going to go, right? You, they have all this GPS data now. That in like when you talk to teams, a lot of teams like I know the LA Rams, for example, utilize that very heavily, right? They don't care so much about the forty; they care more about your GPS numbers. So his GPS numbers are great. I think there's stuff uh, earlier reports of, uh, that came out this year of him running twenty three miles an hour in a game. So if I'm him, I'm like, you have that information. I'll interview. I'll do whatever you want, but I'm not testing because if I don't test well then what's the point? And I think that's something that uh, as you move up, like I think a good example is like Dallas Goddard from a couple of year ago, years ago, like never ran a 40. He came to the combine, did the interviews. I think he met it on the bench press or something, but he didn't do any explosive measurements and he didn't run. And I remember thinking like he looks really slow on film, but the one way to confirm that is to run really slow in a 40. If I don't run, all I have is the film and it looks pretty good. So I think that's something that people need to understand is people now are getting advised by their agents like, hey, man, don't test. And I totally respect that because the the teams are losing leverage in this scenario. Yeah. And if you're Marvin Harrison, you're like, hey, 1400 yards, 12 touchdowns back to back seasons. Like, what am I going to prove in yeah. 4.3 or 4.4 seconds? Absolutely nothing. And so yeah. I think it's smart, but also I, I think it's a great opportunity for guys down you know, down the draft board to prove their worth. Like a second round guy becomes a first rounder because he does go out and run a four three right. and everyone thought he was a four five guy. Um and especially if they can back it up at the pro day. You know, I think some of the the measurements become really, really important, which, you know, some of those are things you can train for. Like if you're JJ McCarthy coming in at two fifteen instead of two oh five does you does you a, a, a huge solid yeah. versus, you know, your arm length is your arm length. That is that is what it is. There's no training arm length. Um so there's there's I think a huge opportunity for guys, you know, that are at the back end. And it's really like I think in terms of percentages, we're talking about the maybe top one, two, maybe three percent of guys that shouldn't run. The top one to two guys at each position, maybe at a position like quarterback, you you say none of those guys should really do a whole lot. Those top three, but if you're anybody else, this is such a massive opportunity. So I don't I don't want to get it twisted to say that like everybody shouldn't do this stuff. Like no, if you're if you're locked in as a top ten pick, yeah, okay, fine. If not, you're trying to get into that top ten. And from, you know, the way the salaries are slotted, that's worth it. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. And I think it's, it, to your point, it's just important. Like it, it can help you, right? In certain cases, like, so for example, like I was talking to an agent before the senior bowl and the senior bowl is a great opportunity to get in front of coaches and look really good. And the guy was like, you know, I don't want my guy to go because he's got a, he's got a top, I think it was a top 60 grade. So it means he's going to be a first or second round player. And he's kind of got an ankle injury. I don't want him to go put bad film on tape and people to be mm. able to hold that against them. It's the same thing here, right? If you're going to run fast, you want to go run at the combine. If you're going to run slow, don't run. Leave it to the imagination. You have all this film that kind of speaks for itself. And, um, you know, I know some of the quarterbacks aren't doing stuff, which is a little bit disappointing. I think we're going to talk about that later. But I think for the majority of people, it's very advantageous. I think a good example of this is like Talisi Fuaga, the, the Oregon State tackle, goes to the Senior Bowl and – you have to measure when you go, right? And so his arms are 33 inches, which are a little bit shorter than you want for ideal tackle. So now after that measurement, you're like, well, maybe he's more of a guard. He's still a good football player. But I think that's where like the general measurements, the general weights are all still extremely important. Like as, as far as evaluation go for team to kind of meet their minimum thresholds and things like that. So while some of the top guys aren't doing stuff, it's still an incredibly important event because it gives you kind of this baseline. I think you hear like Mel Kuyper Jr. talk about this all the time. Like it's it's the thing that separates people. So for example, if Malik Neighbors goes out and run, runs a 4-2 and looks great in the field work 
and looks like that dude, do you hold that against Marvin Harrison Jr.? Because I know some teams right now in conversations have Malik Neighbors ahead of Marvin Harrison Jr. And I was reading something earlier yeah. today that uh, a lot more teams, I'm trying to remember who wrote this, but it might have been, it might have actually been uh, Breer said that a lot of teams have, or a lot more teams than the public realizes have yeah. neighbors ahead of Harrison. Yeah. And I think when you look at the the receiver position now, like those bigger guys, they struggle at the NFL level a little bit. You know what I mean? In terms of creating consistent separation, obviously you have your exceptions, but I think when you look at Malik neighbors, he's much more of a modern NFL receiver mold. And I think that's why people are so excited about him. And if he goes out and runs a four, three and, and catches the ball the way he's caught the ball, all season long, like that's going to be a, a very emphatic stamp on the process. And for me, like I don't, I don't, as a, as a player, I totally empathize with Marvin Harrison Jr. I think he's doing the right thing for him, but as a talent evaluator and as a coach, you know, at a different level than the NFL, for example, I'm like, are you hiding from something? Are you slower than people think? And, um, and that's something that I know a lot of coaches, when you would a lot of scout, not coaches, a lot of scouts, feel that way like why are you hiding from this measurement are you not as fast as people think you are and when you watch the film sometimes you're like man like how fast is he really you know like when he gets in space he's not pulling away from people the way you think he should like that that's not to say like i'm not criticizing marvis harrison jr but i do think it gives some people some scouts an opportunity to kind of say to peck at this what up to this point has been an, an, an immaculate evaluation process you know he's he's the guy he's one of the best receivers i've ever evaluated but now you're gonna say oh well He's not running. Is he slower than we think? Let's compare him to Malik, who ran and did well and did all this stuff. Maybe, maybe kind of shifts the tide there a little bit. Yeah, to me, I'm maybe this is me being like a, a silly talk show host, but to me, that screams like bias, like it, personal bias in terms of 100%, like hundred yeah. percent. Where it's like, oh, you didn't do my part of it. Yes, I I watched your tape all year and I came to your games. So now you're not doing my event. You're not doing yeah. my underwear Olympics, like. Well, it's Relax. A big part for, it's a big thing for them, you know. It's a it big is, part. Of, but I, I think to your point earlier, though, like I would much rather. I know we talked about this last year as this became much bigger part of the evaluation. I'd much rather rely on GPS data yeah, than I would on on forty. So I don't really not to say I don't care about the forty, but you know we're gonna we're gonna do our our second annual crossover podcast <laughs> in Indy with uh, the Train with the Best podcast, my other podcast, and we'll talk about the difference between training for the combine versus training for football is Marvin Harrison is like done that in a way that I don't remember any other prospect like hourly yeah. being like, yeah, I'm not training for this stuff, but like you have to train as a track athlete to run a good 40. You don't have to train as a football player. Right. GPS data is the data speed wise of a football player. That mm. matters more to me. I, I agree. I think, I think that's where teams are at. And I think, like you said, like there, is there still value in the 40? Absolutely. I think yeah. it just shows you what kind of explosive athlete they are. Right. So like when you look at, I think um, uh, Quan is a really good example of that, right? You know, he runs like a four or five or whatever he ran, but then has a 44 inch vert and like over a t over like a 10 and a half foot broad. And you're like, this dude's an explosive son of a gun. And I think it gives you an athletic bias of like, this is the mold, this is the, the clay that we're working with. And this is what the clay is capable of. And I think um, with a guy like Marvin Harrison Jr., like to your point, like he's a top five pick. He's probably gonna be a top five pick, maybe top, top 10 pick, pick for sure. Like there's no reason for him to do anything. Like, right. and, and in some ways, like I think, I think it's probably very wise of him to train football because it. I think it kind of leads into a, a situation where he's less likely to get hurt coming into the season, right? I think it's it's a smart play by him for his future long term. Now, it might in the in the in the interim or in the short term hurt his 
relative draft stock, but we're talking three, four, five picks. It, it's not going to be a huge deal either way for him. Right, for sure. And, and if, if, if it does it all, if it does it all. Right, right. There's still a chance he goes three or four, and we'll see. Um, I also think that all these drills are not created equal. Um, yeah. and that should also be said, like the 40 is very technical. Um, yeah. you know, we always say that if, if you're just a random person, I can cut two tenths off your 40 instantly. I just got to teach yeah. you how to start. Correct. Right. So if you, you and Chris did a great video last year, uh, Chris, <laughs> Chris, or who was in jeans? Were you both in jeans? I was uh, in do, jeans. Yeah. Yeah. It was tough. Get, getting down in that, that 40 start, uh, in one of the, the hallways in the Indianapolis <laughs> convention center. Um, but yeah, no, we, you know, it's pretty easy to to mess that up, right? The technical track start, the three point stance start, has a huge impact on that total time. And by the way, you know, a lot of positions, the ten yard split is more important than the forty. And that first ten yards, if you're slow out of the the stance, which really has not a lot to do with football, um, yeah. that that could matter a ton. The the five ten five is a super technical. Like if you know how to hit the footwork on that, you can put a much cleaner time up versus like. Hey, dude, jump as high as you can. Like, dad tells yeah. me something about your raw athleticism. Yeah. Is there technique to a high and a broad uh, or a vert and a broad? Of course, but not as much as the 40 or the 5105. So I think, you know, all these drills are created differently and, you know, or, or should be weighted differently depending on position, depending on mm. the drill, all that kind of stuff. And, and I think that, you know, that's why some guys skip certain drills and it's like not worth their time to train for versus others you might get a, might get a reading on. And of course, it depends on the prospect. 100%. And I think, you know, again, you, these, these are pieces, right? And if I'm sure. allocating yeah, pieces yeah. of the pie, right? Like it's, you know, probably close to 80%, maybe 75% film, you know, the senior bowl is in, in that extra 25% combines in there. And it really just gives you like a point of clarity. It's like, oh, this guy's actually not as explosive as I thought he was based on these measurements, right? And so you go back and watch the film and you're like, is this fatal? Yes or no? Like Dewan Jones is a great example. Like Dewan Jones ran like a five six or five seven forty last year at the combine, but there was no doubt in my mind he was going to be a great football player because he's his his ten was pretty good, his on field drills were pretty good. So like even though the forty wasn't like this dramatic event, the other movement stuff kind of it's a big boy to run forty. <laughs> yeah, but it, the other movement stuff kind of fleshed out right. that he is a serviceable athlete, and then you marry that with the film, and you're like, I feel good about it. Now if he goes right. out and runs a really fast 40, but looks like dog, you know, you know what on the field, then you kind of say, well, maybe I go back and watch some of the film and some of those issues you had where you're like, oh man, I don't like how he comes out of this three point stance or this angle is a little bit weird, or he gets his feet cut up. Those become more like, that's who he is as an athlete, as opposed to that's who he is as a football player. And I think it just kind of is the finishing touch for a lot yeah. of coaches. And I think like with the Marvin Harrison thing, I, as a prospect, and this is probably where I don't think there's a lot to finish. I don't think there's a lot of finishing. There's no questions about it, right? It's just like, like, like for example, like uh, Johnny Wilson, the receiver from Florida State, or or Keon Coleman. Like people have legitimate questions about their speed, legitimate questions, and their explosive ability. So I want to see them run because yes. I have a question about it, right? Right. That's so I think that that's that's where it becomes like a little bit. The, the clarity is important. Wrapping up here on a Monday. Then I got to go home and pack. That's real talk, Vic. I got to go home and pack because I'm going to Indianapolis for the NFL Combine, baby. And I leave at 10 a.m. tomorrow. Do you usually pack light? Are you heavy? What kind of a packer are you? Uh, I'm a pretty efficient packer. Um, this trip's 
This trip's pretty easy. Um, I don't think I need any like super fancy clothes. Like I don't know that we're gonna do a super. I guess I should probably pack in case we go to like a one nice dinner. Um, <laughs> but I this is also admittedly a weird indie trip for me. Um, very much a business trip. Uh, typically, like the reality of Indianapolis is a lot of people stay out till four in the morning, like NFL Combine Indianapolis. Okay, like you go out. There's coaches and scouts and executives like everyone goes to the same bars and the later you stay, you know, the better chance you got of talking to somebody important because uh, the, the herd thins out. And so a lot of folks, a lot of dedicated reporters, their dedication is I got to stay out till four in the morning. That is not me. That is not my one. I'm no longer a reporter. Like occasionally I do report things. But not my. I'm not at the combine to get information. I'm at the combine to maintain and build relationships, and do phenomenal radio shows with guests that I can't get if I sit here. Right. That's why I go to Indy. Um, but it's also a chance to get FaceTime with a lot of people in the league and catch up with old friends and like there. There's a lot of benefit of of going, right? But I don't need to stay out till four in the morning. I also have one of the biggest fitness events of my life this weekend. Oof. It's an event called High Rocks. We've talked about it a lot on the show. I'm running it with my wife. And I need to be in peak physical shape for this weekend. So I need to make sure that my sleep is good. And so I will probably have zero alcoholic beverages. And I will definitely, like, I might not see midnight once. I might try to do one late night, either tomorrow or Wednesday. But I don't want to mess up my sleep schedule. And, like, routine is very important to sleep. And I'm a bit of a, a nerd and a, and a um, very particular about my sleep. Mm-hmm. And so I, uh, yeah, I'm not, this is not going to be your typical indie trip for your boy. Are you getting older? Do you feel like you're getting older? I just had my 34th birthday on Friday. All right, Vic, yep. I am definitely getting older. I'm 37. I feel like I'm 68. Well, you don't leave your house some days. That's true. Because all they do is play Madden. Yes. Which brings us to, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Vic is such a professional. Real things. We're not going to be f***ing this year. Real people. Five and 11. Not very good. Said into real microphones. You know, the culture is actually damn good. Ah, yes. The Madden video game slash the, the mention of a video game. Brings us to today's Real Things Real People, set in real microphone, courtesy of Chris Fowler on Twitter, play-by-play voice of EA Sports College Football. It's back! Finally, I can tell you about what's been going on behind closed doors here in the smallest room in the house for about two years. Voiceover sessions for EA Sports CFB 25. Microphone, digital recorder, laptop, where they have Zoom calls where guys from EA are engineering and directing these sessions. It has been fun. It's been taxing sometimes, monotonous at other times, because everything you could possibly see in a football game, even the mundane plays, I've said into that microphone many, many different ways. Bunch of stuff you'd never see in a real game. I've described. You want to punt on second down, uh, try a 71-yard field goal, that's in the game, too, along with the appropriate analysis of those decisions. Your quarterback throws five picks in the first quarter or five touchdowns. We got you covered there, too, in detail. 
People have asked, when my team scores a touchdown, would there be appropriate excitement like a real game? Hell yes. EA insists on realism. I sat here in an hour and said, touchdown, Alabama, all the way down to touchdown, Wyoming, along with the version with the team nicknames. <laughs> it was like a month of touchdown calls in an hour. I needed the T for the voice. Wow. I will say, Vic, this is not where I think we anticipated this segment going. I am out of practice hosting a radio show. My voice feels wrecked right now. Uh, My throat feels awful. I think that highlight cut off. It did say he did say he has uh, some tea because he yeah, spent a month I'm, on that. I'm going to go home and have a cup of tea. A proper cup of tea. Mm-hmm. Just a, little, a little splash of milk. A little bit of, uh, of sugar. I wonder if he says touchdown Prince George's Community College. I don't think they're in Division One. Oh, I don't think. Man. Yeah, I think you're you're Power. out of luck on that one. You now you told me something fascinating before the show. You've never played EA Sports College football. Never did, but I might now. I I spent a lot of time in Dynasty mode, bro. All right. We uh we won some national championships. I won a couple a bunch of Heisman's. We created players that we then brought into Madden. Teenage years, many. We it's in the game. I was in the game. See you tomorrow from Indianapolis on the Hoffman Show.